Friday, December the 11th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everyone's having a nice week as we get ready for a big weekend coming up. And I'm I'm super pumped about uh, what we have coming up for you in the next month or so here on That's What G Said. Uh, this episode is going to be great. I already have a lot of cool stuff lined up for next week and really working on everything come the new year uh, as far as getting things a little bit more to the point where we're going to know on every show exactly what you can expect. It's still going to be all the same content, but we're going to do a, a, try to do a little bit better job of uh, of getting it just a, a little more regimented for everyone out there to know uh, when you can expect each segment that you're looking for. As you can expect, we're going to continue to bring on the great guests that help us out. I mean, and we're going to do everything, you know, every... NFL game that we preview, NBA news, game recaps, predictions, uh, baseball news, previews, weekly updates on everything going on. Every episode will always continue to have horse racing, best bets, news. Uh, We're going to be covering lots of Sam Houston, Gulfstream, New York, SoCal, Florida, Kentucky, all the major stakes races, Uh, the This Week in Racing segment, stable dual lineup analysis, TV show reviews. What about the news today over on Disney Plus? So much to discuss, and we'll continue with the old wrestling rewatch this week in wrestling, golf, tennis majors. We're going to hit those big news in uh, college football, basketball, everything. So make sure to subscribe, download, rate, review, help us out, sharing the show, uh, passing it around with your friends because, hey, I mean, there's a segment for everyone on That's What G Said. That's what we're shooting for here. And on this episode, NFL Week 14 with Eric. We spend about an hour and 20 minutes going through each game, 15 games. We don't talk about the Thursday night game. We were recording uh, after that one. The game's already done. I'm going to give you the stable duel schedule for the weekend. And then horse racing, Friday, best plays at Gulfstream Park. Saturday, Barry Spears joins me. We talk about the four great stakes races at Gulfstream Park. And then a couple plays for Tampa for Saturday. Mandalorian, about a 45-minute breakdown of the most recent episode. We talk about everything that happened in the episode and how it involves the greater expanded universe. Uh, Matt Velasco joins me, old friend from uh, LaSalle High School. So we get into everything Star Wars and Mando. And actually, that interview was just before some of the massive news that came down today over on Disney Plus that there are going to be tons of new really really great uh things in in the next few years disney plus projects obi-wan kenobi rangers of the new republic ahsoka will have her own show uh andor star wars the bad batch star wars visions lando the acolyte a droid story there are going to be tons of different things really and this is just in the star wars field but when you go through and see what Disney Plus is going to be working on in the next couple years. Really exciting. If you're a Star Wars fan, if you've got some kids, if you like Disney in general, going to be a ton of really cool stuff coming out. Uh, On this show, we're also going to recap Shameless, talk about the Belushi documentary on Showtime, then some thoughts on AEW. But the major interviews, we have NFL Week 14 with Eric. We also have the Saturday golf stream with Barry Spears where we focus on that a lot and then Mandalorian with Matt set up for next week NBA with Dave Handelin we're going to preview 
you know, a lot of the big stories, talk about what to look for heading into this NBA season. We'll continue on with the Mandalorian recaps. Darren Zocali is going to join me for that one. NFL Week 15, I believe. Paul Bovey is going to, going to join me to uh, talk about NFL next week. We'll continue on with the Shameless recaps. I'm going to talk about the Selena series on Netflix with a good friend David Rea. He's going to join me to recap the Selena series, and we're going to compare it to the movie, positives, negatives, what we liked, what we didn't. Gulfstream racing will continue on. So, I mean, you get all of the the news, all of the sports, all of the major stuff happening in TV, movies, pop culture. We're going to give it all to you here on That's What G Said. Okay, just one or two more notes. Yeah, the NBA season starts. The preseason starts on Friday. There's a Laker-Clipper game on Friday. Now, they've already said that LeBron and Anthony Davis aren't going to play. Expect to see a lot of this even early on into the regular season for the Lakers. Remember, they had that quick turnaround. The season started a lot quicker than people were expecting. It ended a lot later because of the hiccups in the season with COVID and the uh, the large gap in the season, getting things restarted, the bubble, everything. So you probably won't see a ton of LeBron and AD back-to-backs or you'll see them uh, taking a, a lot of games off, which as a fan, I'm completely fine with that. I'm, I'm okay with that uh, in these crazy times. But basketball, back already. NBA games, uh, December 22nd for the Lakers. So starting on Friday the uh, 11th, they are going to have... A preseason game. They're going to have five preseason games and they have their first actual game on the 22nd and then games on Christmas Day. So, NBA back in our lives. You know where we're going to head first? Talk a little bit of NFL Week 14 with Eric E. Top 21 Sports. Before we do though, I want to let you know a little bit about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said. Thrive Fantasy. This is daily fantasy with a prop betting twist and if you go right now and download the uh, the app thrive fantasy use your promo code gino you will get an instant bonus credit of up to 50 bucks when you deposit between 20 and 50 might as well deposit 50 you'll get an instant 50 you turn that 50 right into 100 boom already doubled your money now you're set you can start entering some of these contests they have big contests for nfl nba baseball golf league of legends get involved for anything from a dollar to a thousand playing head-to-head free rolls or the big contest that they have every week. Usually about a $25 entry, over $10,000 in prizes. And these contests are capped at like 500, 550 entries or so. You're not playing against hundreds of thousands or millions of other people. And these are contests that are based around props. If you like prop betting, if you play props a lot, if you like fantasy, if you like to throw a few bucks into some of these contests where you get a chance to win a lot and you have a little more action when you're watching the games, this is perfect for you. And with that promo code GINO, you get a little added incentive. Thrive Fantasy promo code G-I-N-O. If you have any questions, just let me know. Here we go to NFL Week 14, ETOF 21 Sports. Eric joins us. We go through every single game on the Sunday slate into Monday. Kick back and enjoy. We're going to get you all of the betting lines, totals, all of the team records, their records against the spread, injury information, players to use in fantasy this week, uh, which games we're playing, which numbers to look for, everything you need to be successful for this week in the NFL. Enjoy. 
hard to believe that we are already into week 14 of the NFL season. Recording this right now on Thursday night, late Thursday night, actually as the Patriots are playing the the Rams on Thursday night football, and uh, it's actually a thing like a, a t- the Patriots just scored to make it ten seven. It looks like, uh, but a play they might be reviewing. Nonetheless, the man who's joined us, I think about half of the, the season now in the NFL, and he's back again. E Top Twenty One Sports, Eric and uh, Eric. Both of us, and in particularly, you had a, a really nice week uh, on, on here last week, and it's been a few good weeks now. So we always want to keep our fingers crossed. We don't want to we don't want to get too high. You want to celebrate. You want to be happy that you won. Don't want to get too high because NFL and, uh, and this gambling in general can be very humbling. I mean, sometimes there's just <clears throat> weekends where stuff just comes together. Um, Saturday, you know, I had a little rough start to the college football day. I hit that pick six carryover at Aqueduct. I mean, I had a $28 bet that got back six, over six grand. And then Sunday in NFL was money. I mean, if it wasn't for Aaron Jones running out of bounds, I mean, if you would have run out of bounds, I mean, it would have been a great day. But I can't complain with how stuff turned out. I know. I think the only other one that uh, uh, we may have just missed on or been very close with was the Falcons. Uh, it just was on the like that. I mean, the Browns was one that that was a game, and and we've both been pretty high on the Browns this year because uh, you were definitely not like against them last year when everybody was high on them last year with the coaching change with the Fansky coming in, looking at the way their schedule was, and then seeing you know some of the things they've been able to do, uh, you know, week in week out, and I think. It's it was a little bit of liking the Browns and a little bit more of not liking the Titans. Understanding their wins coming in the last couple of weeks were they were not as good as they looked on paper when you really dug in and, and saw wow the Ravens are missing key players on the defensive side of the ball right up the mi- middle. They've got COVID issues. Wow, the Colts have a ton of injuries on the defensive side of the ball. This is not even close to what. Good Colts defense that we're used to So that was a game that um, You know just one Week again but it was a nice game To score on because we were both definitely on that Side and the Browns played really well And that was a game that was a a, a big game For both of those teams That was huge I mean the Browns basically Unless falls off a cliff They're going to win the A playoff spot which has a Which for that fan base and that Organization is huge and Probably even it got Baker a new contract too. Cause if Baker didn't succeed, he was out in terms of the Titans. Now it's a dogfight. Either them or the Colts can win that division and get that home playoff game. So, I mean, that was a huge, huge swing game for both teams. Yep. You mentioned the Browns. They've got a, they're guaranteed a winning season now for the first time since 2007. They're nine and three for the first time since 1994. They've got a huge game that we're going to talk about coming up this week on Monday with the Ravens. They've got a game still left with the Steelers. And then they've got games with the, the Giants and the Jets. I mean, they could legitimately get to 12 wins, you know. Uh, and let's say, you know, now that Pittsburgh has lost a game. If it comes down to a situation where Pittsburgh is already uh, going to be able to have clinched that division, they may not even be playing anybody that you know when they play the Browns that last week of the year, I believe. So uh, this team is is in good shape. They got a big game coming up this week. We'll talk about it when we get to them. But they were definitely the team to talk about off of that huge win for them, and and I'll get to a lot of really 
great Baker stats when we get to uh, the Cleveland uh, Baltimore analysis at the end uh, of this conversation. But we will start with the Packers and the Lions. The Packers are at Detroit. I believe this game is around seven and a half, eight or so, Eric. The total is, uh, I think, 55 right now. And the Lions got. What we uh, what we're hoping for They got the coaching change bump With the victory they were able to come back And beat the Bears I don't know if you saw this statistic But I'm, I'm sure you like to, to see To hear it The Detroit Lions were the first road team To win a game in the last two years When trailing by double digits Teams winning by 10 or more On the road with 3 minutes left To go in the game at home Were 123-0 and 0. That's just insane <laughs> <laughs> that is insane. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but so it goes Lions to show out. you, like, it goes yeah. to show you they fought for Bevel. I mean, Stafford was actually smiling. He was jumping in, up and down, like slapping people on the ass before the game. Yep. And I have, in all my years, I have not seen him like this since Caldwell was there. And it just shows you, like, it makes you wonder, like, where would this team be if they would have done this? After the Colts game, right? Because I mean, weeks earlier, offensively, you know their their offensive line is great. It grades out great. Peterson, I mean, he runs a little bit more for me. But as soon as Swift is healthy, you know he's going to be back. They got Hawk, who's putting up great tight end numbers. They got Marvin Jones, who's putting up great numbers with Galladay being out, and that kid from Wisconsin, um, whose name I can't pronounce, he's putting up great numbers. For his limited role. And they have Sanu. And Sanu has got life. And he has got pep in his step. Which we haven't seen since the Falcons days. So you may, you're wondering like. If they would have done this after the Colts game. Where would this team be? They're playing faster pace. They're throwing the ball a lot more. Especially on first down. Where you don't have the, the Adrian Peterson halfback lead. Which was just ridiculous in my eyes. This team against this Packers defense with that line, I bet it at eight and a half and I bet them to straight up win just because I feel like the Packers line with how good the Lions offensive line is, isn't going to be able to get to Stafford. Lions are going to be able to establish the run, which is going to set up the pass. And the only DB that there really is the fear on the Packers side is Alexander. And Alexander's not going to have Hawk and Hawk's going to be able to move the sticks. I love the Lions in the spot. I took the eight and a half and I also took them to straight up win. The Packers are nine and three, eight and four against the spread. Uh, Detroit is five and seven against the spread, five and seven straight up. Just some good uh, Aaron Rodgers stats here. The uh, this is the fifth season that Rodgers has at least thirty five touchdown passes, which just broke the record. That's the most ever, and it's funny because you know I I don't know how good Green Bay is. But he's quietly having a really damn good year He's actually pro football focused Highest graded quarterback on the year He's got a 94.7 grade And they've got Mahomes at second With a 92.7 He's like two full points ahead of Mahomes And he's the second highest rated quarterback This season His season Ever by pro football focus Which began grading in 2006 So uh, the last 15 years He's having one of the better seasons ever It's funny because it doesn't feel like it Because Maybe there have been teams that are been that are a little more dominant than them, and you know the Packers always have a couple of those losses that are head scratchers. Now, all of that being said, this feels like too much, a little too much on the road with a, a slightly rejuvenated Detroit team. That let's be honest, Eric, even if this Detroit team was 
Now just a one win team I think they would still get up at home With the coach change for this game Oh for, for sure For Green Bay You know like So I, I'm i with you I, At anything over 7 I like the Lions here And they were up double digits First time they played And blew yeah. the lead So which was common with Patricia At the helm So I mean I And this is the second game This year They're familiar with the system this game is going to be tight, and anything over a touchdown is for sure a buy. Like I said, I got it eight and a half, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions straight up won. Yeah, I actually got it at eight, uh, one point two. That was if you know, and I'm fine. Anything over seven, if it starts moving and gets a little lower, uh, I still think Detroit honestly has a, an opportunity to win. I think I, I can see it being a close game, just a closer game, and Green Bay probably sneaking it out. That's kind of how they play. I just don't. I think Green Bay is the better team, but I don't know the incentive for them to try to necessarily blow this Detroit team out. And I think Detroit's going to really battle in this game like we saw them last week. If they get down a couple scores, I don't think they're going to give up. I think they're going to continue to fight all the way and try to prove that they're they're excited off of the coaching change and at least kind of tell the the uh, you know the executives in the front office, hey, look, we're happy with the move that you made. You know, let let them know that what they did is speaking to them. So that's game one as we move along to Texans Bears. Uh, this one is this one's moving a, a little bit. I think we've got the Texans as like a one point favorite, one and a half. It was two like yesterday. It's it's it's. Not much, but the Texans look like they're a slight favorite on the road playing the Bears. Total in this game is 45. The Bears, we just talked about the Lions coming back and winning. They were on the opposite side of that. So they were the first team in 123 to lose a game at home when you're up by 10 with uh, three minutes to go in the game. This was their sixth straight loss after starting 5-1. and one. They're now 5-7. and seven. And how about this, Eric? They are 13-15. and 15. Since Matt Nagy's first year, where he was twelve and four, so uh, they might be another team in the division that looks uh, or could be ripe for a coaching change very soon. They are five and seven against the spread. Houston four and eight overall, four and eight against the spread. Anything in this game? I want to bet the Bears. I really do, but after I what I saw last week, I just can't. I in my head. N- n- I realize that the Lions don't have their top three cornerbacks, and I realize that Allen Robinson is the Bears' best offensive player. He had one target in the second half. One. One tar- How – if Matt Nagy is supposed to be this offensive genius, how is that even possible? So it's... I just I, I just can't bet it. You have a team that's lost five in a row, done something that hasn't been done in, like you said, over 100 games. I think the Bears are just going to pack it up. I think they've given up. You feel like they're that's the pro that's a couple spots this week where it's like I'd love to play this spot with you too. I agree. I would have loved to play the Bears in in this particular spot. I just think they might have given up. They might have just packed it in. It's hard when you have such a good start to the year and you're overachieving and everyone's telling you you stink. You're not a real five and zero or five and one team. You shouldn't be this good. You're not this good, and you're trying to stick up for yourself and your players and your fans and everyone. And then all of a sudden. Like a month and a half later, it's just like oh, this. This is exactly who everybody was telling us we were. Like we're not very good. Um, I, I yeah, I I'm with you. I I would love to play the Bears here. It's just the Texans. It's Watson's been playing so well, and they had an opportunity last week driving to actually win that game late, and he fumbled the ball. I it's just so hard to continue to play them where they are missing so many of their key playmakers. I, I in, in a spot like this where the Bears actually have a decent defense, I just 
I can't really play Houston and I can't really play Chicago after what we talked about. You can't really do anything. I mean, the one, the one thing is the total when I looked, I believe was at 45. Um, we're supposed to have a little snow here. People always react to snow. Like it's snow doesn't affect the total as much as rain or wind does. So if the total drops to like a 44, 43, maybe the over would be the only thing I'd be invested here. But I don't trust the bears. And honestly, the Texans have no reason to lose the game because the dolphins get all the draft picks. Yeah. They're not in, in some situation where tanking is better for them. And I think they're like, I don't know if they're playing for Romeo Cornell's job, but they seem like they like him. You know, they, they're, they're sort of in a situation like we're talking about with the lions where, you know, they're, at like at least showing, hey, we're playing better for this guy that wasn't the other guy. You know, you know, like that. That's kind of what where they're at right now. So, um, yeah, no, not a real, real strong play with the with the number and just with the, the lack of confidence in the Bears. We move to Titans Jags. This one was uh, it's like seven and a half right now or so. The Titans are on the road playing Jacksonville. I think the total is. 52 and a half, 53 I'm seeing in some spots. Tennessee is 8 and 4, uh, 5 and 7 against the spread. The Jags are 1 and 11, 6 and 6 against the spread. They've been a little bit feisty as of late the the last few weeks. It looks like it's going to be Glennon again in here. They uh, there was one point last week where it looked like both the Jags and the Jets were going to win. Um and the Jags are only one game behind the Jets for that number 1 overall spot. So I don't know how much they want to win And this uh, this is kind of a weird spot for me too It's like normally I would like to play a team like Tennessee Who who got beat up a little bit last week Coming back here um, I, The Jags have been a little feisty though In their home This is a divisional game They've been competitive with you know good teams now Or decent teams at least I, I, I don't I would like a, If I were going to play the Jags I would have probably preferred to get a, the better number You know it's probably It's moving in the direction of uh, the Jags And already probably lost a few points on this Do you have any uh, any opinion on this one? I already locked in the Jags Plus seven and a half I there. love I I mean how I look at it is this Mike Lennon he'll take shots down the field He will throw the ball down the field Titans are the 26 worst at defending the pass So that's a great matchup for him And the one area of personnel Where the Jags are solid Is wide receiver They have a solid group of young wide receivers I mean, obvious flat spot last week for the Titans. A.J. Brown looked awful, but he's hurt. He's not going to be playing the defense. Like I said, defending the pass really got exposed. And last time they played, it was a last-second field goal. This game and, and, you know, people are, people are seeing the, the score, and they're starting to be the conversation of, well, you know, that game was a little closer than you think. Yeah. It was not. You know, that, that, that game, the score was very deceiving. Like, Cleveland really took their foot off of the, the pedal late. Tennessee had a couple things really go their way to continue drives, and they had to get a couple big fourth downs to score. I, it just so I think there's even sort of a little like, oh, you know what, that tennis that game wasn't as big of a blow, and it was. They got the crap kicked ne- out. Of it was them. never close. And yeah. also, Tennessee has so many injuries. Like like I said, AJ Brown's hurt. They're missing guys. I just don't like this front. team. I haven't yeah. all year. We yeah. we Neither we have haven't I. really. And we because we've seen their so record, many of their games, yeah, like go game by game, yeah, and how many times of lose. exactly? Like you could be so uh, like th- things could have gone so different for them in so many close games here and there. So I just and if they get the lead, they're going to sit on the ball because they don't want anyone else to get hurt. They don't. This isn't a game they need to win by fifteen, 
They they need to just like you said Stay healthy, make sure you just get out of here With a, a close victory In a divisional game Yeah, more. Th- I, I couldn't I wouldn't lay this on the road With Tennessee and normally this would be a spot Like I said coming off but then you look at that game And they I, I just Tennessee isn't the type of team I really want to be playing a, a whole lot It Maybe as a dog in some spots I wouldn't mind playing them But I just I don't like playing them as a team laying points Like I would be fine playing them in a dog spot Maybe against a better team Where we feel like we're getting some value Not here on the road against a divisional appointment, uh, opponent Giving up a, a ton of points As we move along to Panthers Broncos I believe this one is around three Now uh, Panthers are a three point favorite uh, they're at home The So it's Broncos at Carolina Carolina minus 3 Total in this game is around um, I, I'm seeing anywhere Between 40 Really 45 and a half to 47 It looks like in the last day or so You can get different numbers Denver's 4 and 8 7 and 5 against the spread Carolina is 4 and 8 Also 7 and 5 against the spread uh, Any opinion on this one? For me this game is a pure stay away Um it's going back and forth between three and three and a half with all the COVID stuff that's going on with the Panthers. You have no idea who's going to be on the field. And then this spot is kind of like the spot that the Raiders were in a couple of weeks ago when they went down to Atlanta and just got demolished. You have an emotional game on the road at Arrowhead where the Broncos were played tough. Broncos had a couple chances in that game. They could have snuck out a win. And now you're traveling cross country in a short week with a young team, a young quarterback, and a crappy coaching staff in my eyes. There's no way I can take the Broncos in the spot. And with the Panthers, you have no idea what's going to be on the field. So you just you just strictly have to stay away and watch this game. I'm completely with you. I don't have any real strong opinion on this one uh, either way in uh, Panthers-Broncos. We've got the Cowboys at the Bengals. This game is Dallas minus 3.5. Total in this game, 42.5-43. Seeing... Dallas three and nine, two and ten against the spread. Bengals are two nine and one, two nine and one seven and five against the spread. The poor Bengals. I, I mean, they were fun to watch with Burrow, even with that awful offensive line. And now they're in a situation where they're going to be starting Finley, who is just terrible. Dallas has looked at least. More competent offensively The last couple times we've seen them So they're not Abysmal as far as being able to Move the ball but this is I don't know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be lay, I probably wouldn't lay With Dallas I just I couldn't take Finley I this is to me a stay away I mean the only thing I would do in this game is Bengals Struggle defending the run this could be that game that all Zeke Elliott Owners in fantasy football have been waiting for yep. And I know I'm definitely going to have them in DFS this week but I mean the Bengals I mean they fight Hard but they just With Finley playing quarterback Even with how bad the Cowboys Secondary is You can't trust it if Burrow was here This would be a hammer spot for the Bengals in my eyes But it's another stay away Unfortunately we get to The Chiefs versus Miami this one Is Chiefs uh, Minus seven they are on the road at Miami. Total in this game is 50 and a half. Chiefs 11 and 1, 6 and 6 against the spread. Miami 8 and 4, 9 and 3 against the spread in here. Uh total, yeah, 50 and a half. Now, the Miami Dolphins 
have not looked great with Tua. They've been winning. They've had a very favorable, but they are second in the league in points allowed. And I think this is a good spot for Miami here at home if you can get the the touchdown or seven and a half if you can get that even better uh, under the touchdown. I mean, I think Miami is actually capable of winning this game. I would love it if Fitzpatrick was playing. I would love it if we got some kind of a phantom, you know, to an injury in the next day or two and Fitzpatrick ends up starting this game. I think KC might be a little flat here because Miami's defense is good. And now keep in mind. Um, through the years, one of the teams that's done a really good job sort of slowing down Mahomes is Belichick, and Flores was a Belichick guy. I think he might be able to slow this team down enough with Gaskin back, run the ball enough with Miami to keep this game close and have maybe Kansas City do what they've been doing most of the year. You know, they're only six and six against the spread. They've been winning a lot of games late and just kind of going through the motions in order to win those games. I think Miami's got a shot in here at home. You know they're battling for their playoff life now, and I think I think this game is going to be close. The spot, everything about the spot says to take the Dolphins. You have the Chiefs coming off a Sunday night game, so they're on a short week and they're playing but in a potential Super Bowl matchup next week against the Saints. And you're playing, you're traveling to the East Coast, playing in the heat, which they're not really accustomed to. Everything says take the Dolphins, but I just don't trust Tua. Like yeah. you said, if Fitzpatrick was in, I mean, I take the seven, I take the money line, I take the first half. I would be all all my chips on the table in the Dolphins. It's a major worry because can like if they score, even if Miami's defense plays well and Kansas City scores twenty four, what twenty twenty eight, you know, something like that, can Miami score that much? Can they score at least in the low twenties to mid twenties to keep this game, you know, to cover this game? I don't know. You know, if they I got it, and they get can. a defensive touchdown or something like that, which they've done a lot, sure. But is Kansas City's defense that great? No. But Tua has not showed us anything. That's my my major concern. And this is like a total spot play, liking the team of Miami and a lot of stuff about Miami, and just not loving Tua yet. And and you know, we'll see. Like maybe he can play. Hopefully, he can just play well enough to to have them cover here. I don't. Like I'll say, I we've been the same way. I don't like Miami overall in general as a team. This is totally a play against Kansas City. Um, but I can completely understand why why you would be nervous with uh with Tua because he just he hasn't shown it really yet at all. And you were against him from day one, so it's definitely validating some of the feelings that you had before the season. But I mean, my notes it's to this game top of the top of my legal pad says live bet if Fitzpatrick goes in. Because yep. Patrick, he can, he has nothing to lose. He can throw the ball. He's had success in the Chan Gailey system, but Tua just even like the passes he's connecting on aren't great. You know what no, I mean? There's he just nothing. Doesn't look good. He's not passing the eye test. It's not even like he's like you can really make ex- a lot of excuses for him because the guy that he came in for was really bad too. Like Fitzpatrick was playing well. That's yeah, the problem. It's just, and I mean, I f- kind of feel like they did it because the Texans, to start off the year, were so bad, and they kind of feel, hey, we may have a chance at Lawrence or Fields. We have to kind of see, like, what we have here. Yeah, no, you're right. It was, like, pressure on them because they have so many pieces over the next couple of years. If they wanted to go all in for a Lawrence or Fields or somebody, they can make those kind of moves. 
coming up. You know, they have the kind of capital to trade and move pieces around and say, okay, hey, we're going to go all in right now with one of these guys. And but I, th- I think right now they're probably still kind of scratching their head and wondering, what do we really have? Can this be a huge game for Tua? Can he step up and win a massive game that would really stamp them right back in the middle of the the playoffs? Uh, that's what's what's kind of cool about this week in particular to Eric in, in Week 14. So we're looking at games that are very important for the playoffs in this game: Chiefs, Miami, Cardinals, Giants, Tampa Vikings, Colts, Raiders, the Saints, Eagles, 49ers, Washington, Bills, Steelers, and Browns, Ravens. Half of the slate is more than just your one week football game Which is already important enough in just a 16 game season We're getting to the point now where all of these teams A loss bumps you down Drops you out of the playoffs And that's when it gets even more fun Oh yeah Oh, I love the back half of the NFL season Love it You have spots, teams fighting, teams tanking I mean this is This is I love the back half better than the the front half, to be honest. Yeah, because as a gambler, there's just more to to kind of build your case for in each game, right? You're going to be wrong some of the times, but you feel confident in your angles, in your reasoning for taking a stand one way or the other. So like you said, you can maybe read a few things. You can read a little bit into something. This year, we've got, you know, with with all the COVID stuff, it's it's become sort of a, you know— how much can you outwork somebody else, right? The more information you get on who's playing, who's going to be around, who's not, like paying attention to everything going on, you're also you're always going to get a little bit of that advantage, and that's uh, what we're trying to to help give you here with uh, with the the previews each and every week and going through each and every game as we are up to game seven of the fifteen that we're going to talk about for week fourteen. We didn't talk about that Thursday night game as it is going on as we record, but we're up to a game that. Is uh, another really important one We've got the Cardinals at the Giants now The Giants have been playing some really, really good football Defensively, they've looked good This game is Arizona minus 3 at the Giants The total in this one is 45 or so And one thing we've seen over the last few weeks Kyler Murray has not really looked the same He has struggled He... Has not been throwing the ball downfield nearly as much. He has not been running the ball nearly as much. They are three, twelve, and one. The Cardinals when he's held under forty yards rushing. They are eight and four when he has forty plus yards rushing. He was only able to complete three passes in the first half against the Rams, and they uh, against uh, when they played uh, Arizona played the Rams, and he had seven rushes for two point six yards per carry. The Giants are on a four-game winning streak. They went from one and uh, seven to five and seven. They they were last in the division. Now they're first in the division. This is a very very interesting game for a Cardinals team that is now they're out of the playoffs right now. If it started, they are in the eighth spot. They are behind the Vikings. They have to win. They and the, the Giants are another really cool stat in the Super Bowl era. The fewest wins. Through eight games by a team to make the playoffs was two. In 1970, the Bengals were two and six, and they eventually made the playoffs that year. And the Giants were one and seven. Um, they they would actually be the, the the worst team through eight games to ever make the playoffs if they were able to come back and do so. So a game that you know has got a, a a lot of meaning now for the Giants coming off a plus eleven dog win plus four seventy five. And is it going to be Colt McCoy or are we going to get Danny Jones? Do we know? 
Uh, they haven't said yet. They have not said who's going to go. They said Jones could possibly return. All of it depends if he practices on Friday. So, I mean, I look at this game like this. A, I don't know if you remember, but way back when, when I came on and we did the schedule breakdown, I went over my preseason bets. My Giants to win the East still has legs. Yes. So, and they still still has legs. And if they make the playoffs, now granted, I understand what Skifansky is doing in Cleveland is great. But if they start one and seven and they make the playoffs, I feel you have to give the rookie of the year to judge. Not rookie of the year, coach, me, coach of the coach of the year. Yeah. You have to give coach of the year to judge. Just because of that start, having a backup quarterback, Cole McCoy getting the key game, making the offensive line coach and after off your offensive line coach switch. And after they've done that, offensive line has looked way better. Dolman is running great. The offensive line is opening up holes. Andrew Thomas actually looks like a fourth of the fourth pick in the draft instead of a bust like he did the first couple of weeks. I just, like you said, Murray hasn't looked great. You can obviously tell ever since the Patriots game, he just wasn't throwing the ball down the field anymore. So something's obviously wrong with that shoulder. You have Bradbury and the Giants back for the, I feel he's showing he's an elite corner. He, I mean, it's hard to hold, hold DK in check, but he held him to res, res, respectable numbers. And you have a team trending upward at home, getting points. You have a team trending downward, traveling across country. I mean, this is a huge buy for me at the Giants plus three. Couple other uh, Giants positives. I mean, their defense you're talking about, they had five sacks, a forced to fumble, and had an interception uh, last week. So they are just playing really, really good ball. And just to piggyback on your point about Kyler Murray, the last three weeks, Kyler Murray has dropped from 7.6 yards per pass in weeks one through 10 to 5.4 yards per pass. So you combine that with the fact that he's not running the ball either, and he just is is banged up, plain and simple. That's what it looks like. And now he's going to go play a defense and a team that's just that's really high right now. You know, there's a good Giants buzz. Their fans got a good buzz. Their team's got a good buzz. They're winning games. They beat a couple teams that they shouldn't have beat. And now they got a reeling team that's coming in. And they're going to be a home dog in here. Give me the Giants at plus the three. You know, absolutely. If you're going to be able to get plus three, they're five and seven, eight and four against the spread. And Arizona six and six, five and seven against the spread. As we move along to Tampa. Versus the Vikings, this game is six, six and a half, I believe. And yeah, it looks like six and a half or so right now. And the total in this one, 52, 52 and a half. Minnesota, six and six, six and six against the spread. And the Bucks are seven and five, six and six against the spread. Minnesota, off of their win last week against the Jags, they've jumped into the number seven spot in the playoff quietly because they've. Been beating up on teams that weren't very good Now I don't know how good Minnesota is This is Tampa coming off their very late bye They had one of the last buys of the year this uh, this season And this feels like a spot where I mean Tampa has to have gotten a little bit better off the bye With their receivers Getting a little more time to work with Brady They probably didn't get as much time before uh, in, in you know a training camp situation this year With everything COVID But it does look like Mike Evans is a little bit banged up With a, a hamstring issue So keep an eye on that one I don't love 
like ever really laying big amounts of points or something. I'd I'd be on the Tampa side, I think, at under seven. And it's probably still because I just am never I've never been really impressed with the secondary of Minnesota. And I feel like that's a, a spot where this this might be a really good off the bye, got a little more familiar with the receivers, and you got a secondary like Minnesota who's coming in. They're coming in off of a couple you know, a, a streak where they've won a few games, you know, but they they lost to Dallas and they they in that stretch and they have not really played all that well. So I'm I'm leaning Tampa in here and I'll probably play it at something under seven. This is the meaty part. This is the part of the schedule the Bucks have been waiting for when they're gonna play like the easier teams, the teams yep. with the losing record. Like you said, Brady and the wide receivers, they have a great matchup this week against the banged up secondary of the Vikings. But ever since Antonio Brown has got there, it just hasn't gelled. You have another mouth to feed. And you have Brady and Arians jawing at each other indirectly. Like, I, it's rare for me because I'm weird. I never watch the game with sound on, so that way I can kind of make my own opinion and not mm-hmm. let Romo sure. or, or whoever kind of, like, draw it. But the game against the Bucks and the and the Chiefs, I was watching with someone, and they wanted the sound on, so obviously – you know, when your girlfriend wants to sound on in the game, the sound on's on the game, unfortunately. So anyway, <laughs> the sound was on and like Romo is basically saying everything that Brady was saying. Like anytime he was throwing Arians under the bus, he could tell what play was coming. That's not because Romo is this uh, god at, at, at breaking stuff down. That's because Brady's talking to him. Brady's like feeding all that intel to him and he's just speaking that to the public. Arians is saying that Brady's calling the play. So there's a lot of dissension going on right there. In terms of the Vikings, Vikings run the ball great. And Vera, who's a huge run stopper for the Bucs, he's out for the year for an injury, which is a huge loss for them. Huge loss. I think Minnesota is just going to sit on the ball, run it like they have been doing. And I think they're going to be able to stay within the seven. So I'm waiting for a seven. If I can get a seven, I'm going to take the Vikings. If I can't get a seven, this is the game's just another pass for me. Yeah, I wouldn't take the Tampa at over seven. And I, I hate like I'm not really a teaser guy. A lot of people play teasers and stuff. I, I, I just don't. Um, and I'm not. I, I don't ever, re- ever really play like lay. I just think this feels like a great spot. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked if Tampa just sort of blew them out. I, I agree with everything that you said. I, I don't think. I see. I think what's going to happen is Tampa may run into a stretch of these teams that they're better than in the next few games, and they could beat up on them. And then heading into the playoffs, everyone might think, oh, "Okay, they got things figured out." And that's where I would end up wanting to play against Tampa because I think when they run into a good team, they're still going to be in some trouble. Like if Brady has to deal with some real pressure, or if there's a good secondary that's able to lock some of the receivers down, and they have to improvise a little bit. I don't feel like he's connected with them. I just think they might be able to beat up on a couple of these bad teams uh, in the next few weeks. We will see as uh, I mean, this is a massive game. These are two teams that are in the playoffs both right now. And Minnesota has to try to keep winning in order to, uh, to sneak in. Yep. Yeah. In order to keep their, their spot there in the playoffs as we move to Colts Raiders, another interesting game. That's got major, major playoff implications here. I believe this one has been moving around from about, Colts minus two and a half to Colts minus three. Uh, total is 51, 51 and a half here. We've got the Colts at eight and four, seven and five against the spread. We've got the Raiders at seven and five, seven and five against the spread. The Raiders were able to get very, 
very lucky in winning last week when the Jets sent seven pass rushers on a Hail Mary situation when only a touchdown would hurt them. There were some great ESPN next gen stats on this. They were the first team in their database since 2006 to send six plus pass rushers in the final 15 seconds of regulation with a four to eight point lead with 40 plus yards to the end zone for the opposing team. The the previous situation has happened 251 times and there's never been any team that has sent six plus pass rushers. They sent seven. They were then beat one on one. Jet safety Marcus May said, "Hey, we got to execute better, but you got to help us out at the same time." And then Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, was fired the next day. He was also the defensive coordinator of the 0-16 Browns, so he might be a defensive coordinator for two different winless teams. And I understand the tanking and stuff. If you were a Jets fan, that's that's brutal when you're watching and rooting. It's probably and hopefully better for you in the long run, right? If you can get Lawrence, if you can get the number one pick, and maybe you know things change. But it just it stinks when you're a fan of a team and you just want that one victory and you feel like, man, I've, how many weeks? Every week we get our asses kicked. This is the one week where I can celebrate. I can have a couple beers after they won and on the last play, that's what happens, Eric. I mean, that was brutal. And I'm a huge <laughs> Lions fan. I grew up in Michigan. I'm a yeah. huge, even though I, I'm a huge Lions fan, grew up in Michigan. I lived through the 0 16. And I mean, that was so effing brutal every Sunday just to watch your team lose and it was just bad so I know the feeling the Jets have but honestly the conspiracy theorist in me thinks they were told to do that I mean because honestly if they would have won that game I think the Jaguars would have late leapfrogged them yep in a tie situation I think the Jags are actually below the Jets yeah in a tiebreaker so the Jets actually have to finish with a, a one less lot win than the Jags in order to have the number one overall pick. That's just one of the weird messed up things we've seen in the NBA too. And it's unfortunate because, you know, I don't think a lot of these players even like, like you said, it's like you're, you're doing what you're told. You're playing the coverage that they draw up, even though the coverage that you look around and you're going, this is not a good situation to be in. Why are we leaving this like not, Start, like not very good player one on one on the outside here with rugs, you know, and and we are not really helping him out at all. You know, that's the situation that they're put in, which was not a good situation to be in as as and one the of their thing players. Is, is it's not like like rugs is a fast guy. Like you can't high point a ball. It's not like it's Mike Williams yep. who's very good at high point a ball. This is rugs who's a burner. How you do not have safety help to that side is just yep. mind-boggling to me. You, no and timeouts. You, you it's put just them, insane. Yeah, you, you, you just let them in front of you. You give them the opportunity to catch the ball, and you just cover the sidelines. You cover the end zone, and you force them to go down in, in bounds. But uh, that was, yeah, the Raiders, that, that it's one of those weird things to where that honestly could save their season. If they lose last week, they're done. And now they have a very, very major opportunity with a couple of games coming up in the next you know, few weeks. They've got games against teams that are right there next to them, the Colts and the Dolphins. 
this one is so huge for the Raiders They head back home They've looked like crap two weeks in a row After that emotional loss As you mentioned, you, you referenced it a little earlier When talking about the Broncos Where the, the Raiders had their hearts ripped out By the Chiefs And they just have not looked good at all Since they lost They got destroyed by the the Falcons In a game where the Falcons didn't even play well it, the, the Raiders were just atrocious They should have lost last week now they're home. They're playing a Colts team who is getting a little healthier. They're getting a, some of their players back now. They were banged up a couple of weeks ago. The Colts got a little lucky last week too. They had an opportunity to lose that game late. Three point favorite on the road. I I don't really have a, a strong opinion in this game overall throughout the season. I've I've liked the Colts and I like the Colts as a team. I think they're a team that's sort of capable. With their coaching staff, with their defense of beating anyone, maybe a team in the in the playoffs if they make it, that I would be fine with, you know, thinking about upsetting a a Pittsburgh or a Kansas City in the right situation. But I don't know if I have a real feel for this particular game. Do you? How what I'm probably going to do in this game, and I haven't locked this in, is like you said, this is a big game for both teams, so they're going to not want to get in a hole in the first half. Raiders already run the ball 53 percent of the time. So there's going to be a lot of a running running clock. And the the Colts, I feel they don't want to get hurt because they are banged up as is. So they're not going to want to put Rivers, who's battling injury, in a situation to get hurt. I think there's going to be a lot of running of the ball. Very slow, not really slow-paced game because the clock's going to be moving fast because they're running. I think it's going to be really low scoring. I actually kind of like the game under and the first half under here if I were forced to play. But one of my rules is I don't lay points on the road. I think the Colts are a better team. If I was getting plus three for the Colts, which I'll never get, I would definitely take the Colts. But there's no way I'm laying points on the road with the Colts. Waller last week, uh, he was the fourth tight end in NFL history with 200 receiving yards and two touchdowns in a game. He was just an absolute man child. He was incredible. Um, And someone to... Keep an eye on or a couple guys to maybe keep an eye on If you're playing a little bit of DFS uh, As far as the Colts, their running back Touches the last couple games with all three Healthy running backs, Taylor 42 touches, he's actually looked a, a, a Little better, Hines 18 And Wilkins 12, so it seems Like Taylor is really starting to get the bulk Of the the uh, the action there And then T.Y. Hilton, he's starting To wake up a little bit after the bye um, sort of like what maybe we're I'm, I was projecting with Brady and some of the receivers with uh, with Tampa seems like now Rivers and and Hilton have got a little bit more chemistry in the last couple of games. He had 110 yards receiving. He always beats up on the Texans, so maybe that was a confidence building game for him. Taylor at 135 yards for scrimmage. Those are two guys I might be looking to play in some DFS also. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like Frank Wright. The light has finally gone off that says, hey. I need to give Jonathan Taylor repetition. You know what? Because yep. there's certain guys that just live off reps, and Taylor is that guy. It's kind of it kind of took him a while. It's kind of like I Cam Akers. Like I'm very bullish on myself when I come to like scouting players, and I was very high in Akers. And it's just like now McVeigh has realized Akers is the best money back. And I think the same things happened in Indianapolis that Wright is finally saying, "Hey, this t- Taylor's the best one, and Waller's a machine." Like. I'll tell you guys my secret in DFS is tight end position. It's always going to be Kelsey or Weller just because you can't, you cannot use those guys and expect to win money. Cause if you don't use, use them, you're just going to be so, so far behind the eight ball. Yeah. And it tight. It just, there's such a gap. Oh, there's a huge gap. And every year it's funny 
the beginning of the year It feels like we all start to make the case for This is going to be the year where it's different It's deeper, right? There's like four or five guys Whether it be like an Andrews Or, you know, people It'll be Ebron every now and then Who has like a couple great games And people will all start to make cases for them Being as good as some of the other top tier ones But honestly, and unfortunate for Kittle He's been hurt this year He's legitimately like in that tier I think with them too when he's healthy But uh, you're right, like this year It's just Kelsey is so so good and Waller showed last week in particular that he really is elite and on that tier with them. So uh, a fun game with the Colts Raiders coming up as we move to the Seahawks versus the Jets here. So you know we talked a, a little bit about the Jets and the the uh, unfortunate loss being on the wrong side there. The the Seahawks have not been playing. The best ball as of late Russell Wilson had his third game this year Where he's had an interception and a fumble Which, not great You know, and last week they got sacked Five times, which is also not positive Their offensive line is banged up They um, they were only 4 of 13 on third down Last week They only averaged 4.7 yards per play And they just aren't really Trending in the right direction They were held without a touchdown Until there were 6 minutes and 9 seconds Left in the game They're minus 6 in turnovers their last 5 games Now you're home You're playing against the worst team in the league But you know Let's say Seattle doesn't have to win this game By 20 points but there's not a lot Of positive Seattle stuff Going on lately And also with how bad Seattle's Secondary is how can you lay A number this big I look at it like this with how Seattle struggled on offense and with how they struggled on defense and how with by giving up yards and points. And then you have the Jets are the Jets. Like, how can you trust? You can't trust either one of these teams. Like, if there's a situation where Seattle was on the road and playing like the Rams and getting three points or playing, I was, I'm spacing on another team, but like the Colts and getting three points, I would totally be on Seattle in that spot. But yep. laying this big of a number Never. at home. There's no way. And, like, I love taking double-digit dogs in the NFL, but not a team that, like you said, blitzed seven people on the last play of the game and gave up a touchdown to lose it. There's no – I can't trust either one of these teams, so I'm just going to sit back and relax. I'll, I'll play DK Metcalf and DFS just because the Jets' secondary is bad, but that's about it for me. Can never – like, Seattle is the exact template of a team that I never want to be laying a ton of points with. Ever, like Never. ever, I did it once or twice this year because I think once when they were playing against Minnesota and it was play, it was like a play. I just thought they were going to blow Minnesota out, and it, it's just they don't ever do that. They never blow anybody out ever. I, it's just that's it's not who they are ever. <laughs> the one I bet I've taken Seattle once this year. I it was minus three against the 49ers and that was the game where Pettis had that drop and he got cut the next day. But yeah. if Pettis catches that. They probably don't even cover the three. It's just this is a, you never want to lay points with them just with how bad their defense is. And I never thought I'd say that about a Pete Carroll team. Oh, I know Jets uh, zero and twelve, four and eight against the spread. The Seattle Seahawks are eight and four, six and six against the spread. As we move along to the Falcons at the Chargers, so uh, this one we've got a, a Falcons team that. Just lost to the Taysom Hill Saints two out of the last three games. We've got a Chargers team that is now going to be a two and a half point home underdog. And I've got some really fun 
charge charger statistics here. Um, they lost 45 to nothing. Their special teams is the worst ever tracked through 13 weeks by by uh, football outsiders DVOA. Last week, they had punts where they had 10 men on the field, 12 men on the field, and 10 men on the field. They punted five times. Out of those five punts, three times they had the wrong amount of men on the field. Three out of five, they didn't even have the right amount of players on the damn field. They had a field goal blocked. They had a 61-yard return. They had a missed field goal, and they gave up a 70-yard punt return. They are on, They are also the first team to have two special teams TDs against them this year. They're the first team to have a blocked field goal to return for a touchdown. They have been the bottom two in special teams DVOA in five of the last 11 years. That's crazy because you don't think about football as like, Something, especially when there's been different coaches that necessarily carries over from year to year. But no matter who is the coaching staff, this team is just bad on special teams. Their field goal kicker was 0 for 2 on Sunday. He's 17 for 24. They're second to last in field goal percentage. They have had three punts blocked this year. That's the most of any team. They've they allow 15.9 yards per punt return. That's that's the worst in the NFL. They're the third worst with 27.9 yards per kick return allowed. I mean, we're talking about a team that has looked good because you and I have played them and they're five and seven against the spread and they've been competitive, but their three wins this year are against the Bengals, the Jets, and the Jags. And this team lost by 45 points last week. Their other eight losses combined were by 42 points. Did they just give up on their coach? I mean, you're talking about the special teams, and Lynn came out and said, "Hey guys, don't worry. I'm gonna I'm gonna put more time in the special teams." Like, <laughs> really? Like, you know what I mean? She's been yeah. completely clueless with his time management skills. Um, in terms of what you asked, I mean, I just this team, I just don't know. Just because they there's I would been love situations this spot where they normally. fight them. And I would like this spot for them because yeah. I don't think much of Atlanta and and I and it, and the, the Chargers are, are have talent, but I think it's it's kind of like what we're talking about with the Bears. This is a very similar spot to me where I would like to play them in a spot where everybody saw them get the crap kicked out of them last week. Oh, yeah. You know, but Belichick's a really good coach and they have a rookie quarterback and I thought he was going to outcoach them anyways, but I don't I, I don't know if they've just given up. That and that's I, my issue. But that's the thing, like, if you build the culture of losing, and that's unfortunately what Anthony Lynn does, losing is contagious. And you're right, like, you're at home, you get three points. So you're telling me the Falcons are three points better than the Chargers on a neutral field? There's no way. This Falcons team, Matt Ryan's lost when there's no Julio Jones. Julio's banged up. Julio didn't practice today. And their defense, especially the secondary, is bad. And the name to watch for is Grady Jarrett. Grady Jarrett is great against the runs. He's a defensive lineman for the Falcons. If he doesn't play, a slam spot for Eckler in DFS. But if he does play, don't play Eckler. I want to play the Chargers so bad in the spot. Me too. I do. Like, I just, I want, because I don't think the Falcons should ever be laying. I mean, I take that back. Against the Jets, the Falcons should be laying points Especially on the road. Like this on the team. road, there's just no way this team should be laying, especially with how, like I said, how bad Ryan has looked with no Julio, how the defense 
especially the DBs, can't stop anything. And they're with how so poor bad the at the red zone. I mean, yeah. the, they should they have beat score. the Saints twice. Both yep. of those games, they should have beat the Saints. They can't beat. They cannot score in the red zone at all. When they get there, they'll move the ball, and then it's they're comically bad. And Herbert and the Chargers should be able to move the ball fine against them. I just, I couldn't take the Falcons, mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm still sort of trying to talk myself into taking the Chargers because I like the spot. I just, I we, I don't know if they're. Hey, we like Anthony Lynn. He's a nice guy. He's a great guy, but. I think we we've sort of given up as a team and and curled up into a ball and said, hey, you know what? Like this guy needs to go now. And that's that's the fear. Like like what you said, this is why playing games like this are hard because some guys do just quit. And yep. this could be a spot. And, and, where and here's what we're saying. And it's not a quit. It's it's really are you giving extra effort? Right. That's yeah. what in any game, any team. Almost always the team that is playing the hardest, putting out the most effort, trying the like the, in, in the most simplest senses, right? Like who is playing harder is generally going to be the team that wins that game or covers or, you know, does what you need them to do. It's going to it's the little things. Do they try hard to to really wrap somebody up or do you just kind of give a half ass effort on a tackle? You know, things yeah. like that is what I worry about with the Bears right now with. This team right now with the Chargers If they're in the back of their mind going Hey you know what It might be better for us if we just sort of Sort of lay down and and lose this one And, and, make and the, the other thing that made zero sense To me is Eckler's first game back He played over 70% of the snaps His, He had like 14 his, targets yeah, Or something like that yeah. yeah. And against the Patriots and I know the game got off script Because there was a big lead But he only played 58% of the snaps Like that decreased to me it's like Really? Like Eckler should be on the field every yeah. snap. Honestly, yeah. he's your oh, best, sure. most talented player. He gives you options when he's back there because he does give you the opportunity to run or pass. He's not as it's not as predictable with him back there. You can line him up as a receiver. It's just it's a it's a coaching thing. You know, like, it, it's what it's all revolves around it. It does. And if you look at like the thing that Peyton does so well is he always lines up. Thompson, My- Michael Thomas in the slot, and Kamara in the shotgun on the same side. Why aren't the Chargers doing that with Keenan Allen and Eckler more? You know what I mean? Because you have two, you have an explosive player that can catch the ball in the backfield, and you have Keenan Allen. You are, you could make an argument as having one of the he he's having a top five wide receiver season this season awesome. under the radar. So why aren't you doing that more? But they're always on separate sides. That makes zero sense to me. Like, cause that's one thing Payne does exceptionally well with his game planning. And I have no idea why the chargers don't do it. Poor chargers. And and let's, you know, here, here in Los Angeles where I am, the chargers are a team that gets, I mean, you wouldn't even know they're in Los Angeles. Who gets more more club, the LA galaxy or the LA chargers? Oh, it's not even close. The galaxy. The only problem with the gap for the galaxy is that since LAFC has come into the mix, They've actually gotten very popular, but the Galaxy have won and have had good years. And they've got like here in Los Angeles with a really big Hispanic, um, like a really big Hispanic sect. There's a lot of soccer fans here that love the Galaxy, that love uh, LAFC. And the thing with the Chargers is they've got a, a franchise quarterback. They really do. Like they have a quarterback that has made me a fan of him 
instantly and has made me say, you know what, I'm I'm wrong already on my analysis. Like he's been better this year than I thought he ever would have been. I look at him and go, this guy could be a franchise quarterback with the right staff, with the pieces around him. And the Chargers of all of the rosters in the league, they're not that far away. They've got Bosa. They've got some really good pieces on the defensive end. They seem like they've just been a little bit banged up here and there. You talked about Allen. Like they've got a good tight end. That's why we've liked them and played them against good teams. Remember, they should have beat Kansas City earlier this year. They're a team where I would like to coach if I was a coach out there looking at a roster. So they better do this soon because in LA right now, if you continue to lose, you got a, you got a little bit of a window with this young kid to to sell some jerseys and to get people to go, oh, I'm going to be a Herbert fan and I'm going to be a Chargers fan. And I mean, like, I asked the Galaxy question because LA has so many teams. I mean, yep. they have the Kings, the two two MLS teams. Um, Lakers, Clippers, Chargers, Dodgers, LA, yeah. uh, yep, Angels, Angels, yep. I mean, they're probably at the bottom of the pecking order. Yeah, they are. The absolute bottom. Because everybody else, like, the Clippers... Have, haven't won, but they've actually won it all. But if you look at the last decade, they've been a, like a perennial playoff team, and the Clippers actually have a small, like rabid and very loyal fan base of people that have been with them and lost with them, and they're really loyal Clippers fans. And the Clippers have had some good runs, but as far as the Chargers, they moved from San Diego. They Which don't really. I know a total mistake. They don't they didn't really have a home right away. They're not they're sort of like renting their home cuz that stadium does not feel like theirs. It's the Charger, it's the the Rams stadium, you know. Yeah. And they're always going to be second fiddle to the Rams right now because the Rams came in and immediately were in the Super Bowl and immediately have played well the last couple yeah. of years. You you just got to do it right now. I know it's like it's not, you know, like football analysis stuff, but as far as like what's good for their franchise, they have to do this and they have to show everybody out here, hey, look, we're trying to win. Yeah, you know, the like- window to win is so small. And they have Herbert, like you said, on the rookie deal. They have this is by far because they got Turner from um the Panthers in a trade. They signed Brian Balaga from the from the Green Bay Packers, Turner from the Carolina Panthers. This is the by far a better line that Rivers had ever played against play, played with until since the LT years they have Ingram Bosa a good young secondary they got that kid Murray a linebacker Allen Henry Mike Williams they got Eckler I mean if they just get anybody that knows anything like this legitimately right now I can tell I'm probably gonna bet them to win the Super Bowl next year just if they get like a B enemy or well, I mean, they, the look Bills at the Browns with Stefanski, yeah. right? Like how quickly it turned from just incompetent to like someone that knows what's up, pretty competent, you know, that's it. Yeah. Like Stefanski doesn't do anything insane. It's play action. It's what works out for Baker. It's what works out for the personnel. And, um, yeah, you know, talk a lot about a game that I don't really have a opinion on, like that much of an opinion on. It's just we like this Chargers roster, and it's just a shame what's happened to them. And it's always one of those things too, where it's like a team that you see on Hard Knocks. I watch, you get a little bit more invested in, and I and you are with them and and some of their pieces. It's like this is a this is a talented group. Just three and nine though, five and seven against the spread. Atlanta four and eight, five and seven against the spread. But they are a the Falcons are a two and a half point favorite. On the road in a game that the total is around 49 and a half. We move to the Saints versus the Eagles. It is uh, 
I believe right now it is around six and a half. Saints minus six and a half. I think there might be some sevens out there uh, on the road at Philly. Carson Wentz benched. Jalen Hurts will be making the start. He came in after Carson Wentz started the game last week. He went six for 15. He got sacked four times. Jalen Hurts came in. He was five for 12 with a touchdown and interception. He carried the ball five times for 29 yards. He did get sacked three times there. And if you're just looking at like pure analytical numbers of the 33 rookie quarterback games this year, Pro Football Focus had rated Hurts the fourth highest grade last week of any of the the rookie quarterbacks that have played so so far and he was actually 25 points higher graded than Wentz who's just been abysmal uh, really really bad this year the Saints clinch a playoff berth uh, they have nine straight wins three in a row with Taysom they uh, have Breeze now eligible to come off the IR but it doesn't look like he's going to be coming off this week I think they're going to be waiting I- I've been wanting to play against the Saints and I've been playing against them this is an interesting spot, Eric, because you have sort of a, an unknown here in in a number with with Hertz. He played okay last week, not great, not bad. Just hard when you're down early, you come into a game. We don't really know what to think of the garbage time. But I, I'm not a Hill fan. I think that the Falcons could have beat them a few times. And if I can get seven, I'm going to definitely take the Eagles in here. I already locked in. I got the seven right when it opened up, yep. and I locked in the money line. How I look at it is this. You have the Saints that just clinched. Saints, like you said, have been a bluff. They're basically running a high school offense. Kamara is a zero factor just because Hill can't get him the ball because he's so bad at throwing. Eagles defense has been decent, and I think it's going to give Hill trouble because he's not going to be able to throw it, and he's going to – rely on the running it, running the ball, and the Eagles have been good against the run in terms of the Eagles. Wentz needs to see a psychiatrist. I've been watching the film. There's guys open. He's just not throwing balls he used to. So something's going on in his head. Maybe it's his internal clock or whatever. But with how the line, poorly the line has been playing, they need a more mobile quarterback. This is going to allow more RPOs, more designed quarterback runs. I don't think Hertz is that good. He's very inaccurate. He missed some passes. I agree. Yeah, it's not. But, it's just it's there's enough of a of a wild card. Yeah. To take with, this number at home yeah. too. But yeah. yeah, but they need to like move the pocket and Wentz can't do that, but Hertz can. Yep. And with how the line, the offensive line is playing, it kind of needed to be done, and okay. it wouldn't. So you get and a quarterback Wentz, change. Wentz might be like so. you said. It's like it might be a mental thing for him I don't think it's a physical thing right now Like Wentz might be a guy where And they got a lot of money locked up in him But if he got cut or traded or something Somewhere else into a situation where Maybe he went to like the Colts Or like a good situation With a like a good staff or And a solid de- Like a, where he wasn't Going to be the guy who had to try to do a lot I, I think that's kind of He's gotten himself into trouble the last couple of years because he's with all the injuries and and everybody banged up. I think he's been like, I've got to do this. I've got to make plays. And he just like you said, mentally, he wait, he either waits too long or he throws it too early or he fumbles the ball. I mean, he was literally legitimately going to have an opportunity to lead the league in fumbles, interceptions and sacks taken. Oh, I mean, he's I. What you're seeing with him is historically, I don't even remember anything I've seen like this before. And no, it's the he, yips kind of a yeah. thing. Like it's like it's knob, block. Like knob block. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
But I mean, like you mentioned, like, okay, hypothetically, you're the Colts and you look at quarterback veteran quarterbacks that could be moving, changing homes this year. So you have Fitzpatrick, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, and maybe even Stafford, let's say. Out of those four, I mean, hell, I'd probably wait Wentz to my fourth choice. And or, third or fourth, depending would on would you rather even take a shot on someone like Darnold? Yeah. Even who's yeah. like gonna be probably much cheaper and someone who you can sort of take a flyer on. And and if he's good, then maybe he's your guy, you know, moving forward for for them years going. I, I I agree with you in that. Like, he's just he he's gonna sort of have to show it before we get a little confidence in him. Uh, Carson Wentz, who was so good just a few years ago, but uh, they're making the big change, and we're both gonna be on the Eagles here with a, an opportunity to uh, to make a little noise. I mean, this is like life or death now for the Eagles. They're three and. Three, eight, and one, four and eight against the spread. They are in some trouble. If, if very outside chance still to win the division. Uh, Saints ten and two, seven and five against the spread. One of the problems for uh, for the Eagles is the Washington football team has been playing some good ball. That's the team that we're going to talk about next. They are a three point underdog. They are on the road going to play San Francisco. But remember, this is not really. At San Francisco, this is in Arizona on a neutral site because San Francisco cannot be playing at home. So this is on Sunday. Total in this one, I believe it's around 43, 43 and a half here. This Washington team has, uh, you know, you got the Alex Smith versus San Francisco here. You got a lot of uh, uh, staff that sort of knows each other. And this Washington team has been playing really, really good. They're coming off of that win against uh, against Pitt, but... They are going to have a short week to deal with here. They're going to have a San Francisco team that is getting a little bit healthier. I don't really have much of a strong opinion on this one. Do you, Eric? I actually do. So for me, like the girlfriend, I always tell her betting is like the stock market. You want to buy, buy low, sell high. And this is a perfect opportunity for this. This game opened up at five for San Francisco laying five. I, lo- I just locked it in before you and I started talking at San Francisco minus three. This is way too much of a point swing. Now, athletes are creatures of habit. You have the 49ers. Their habits were broken. They had to play in Arizona. Now they're accustomed to that. And that game they played on Monday Night Football, when Josh Allen did that flop that extended the drive, that kind of changed the game in the second half with that personal foul. And I think that game was a little bit closer than the score actually shows. And you have Washington that was getting killed. Granted, you and I both had Washington. We both had the money line. But they kind of are overvalued now because they beat Pittsburgh. Yes. So for me, this is just a buy low, sell high point. And with how I gamble, this tells me to take San Francisco because there's huge overreaction going on in the market to the Washington Reds, the Washington football team winning that game. And you know what? The San Francisco played against a Bills team that I'm pretty high on. They looked they like it's the same situation. What did everybody just see last? Washington beat Pittsburgh and San Francisco got beat up by the Bills. You know what? The Bills played really damn good in that game and Allen played phenomenal in that game and I I just think you're right. Like I think San Francisco even a beat up San Francisco 
is the better team here I think they have the opportunity to still make it a little bit difficult On Alex Smith, put a little pressure on them there Remember, no Gibson uh, likely for Washington So, you know, th- that's going to make their running game a little bit more difficult They still got McKissick back there and, and, and Barber But, you know, Gibson was starting to play really, really well I could not play... The Washington side in here I And Mullins hasn't I, looked that bad Like I no, really don't no. think Mullins isn't that bad Of a quarterback No he's not he's a fine backup quarterback He's he's fine like he he's Gonna have bad games gonna have Good games gonna be inconsistent but This is a game where at like I, Almost exactly what you did at three No doubt I would be on the on the 49ers I wouldn't probably want to go three and a half To four or any higher than that but There just feels like you're getting value at San Francisco at anything three or under for sure. So that that would be my side here in this one. Um Washington, San Francisco on that neutral site. Two games left. What's really great about this week too, Eric, is this Thursday night game was a strong game on paper. Uh, we had Rams and Patriots so far. It's been, you know, Rams really dominating uh at, in the early part of the third quarter. Oh, I mean I'm on the Patriots right now, and I have I have it going on. Patriots have been within inside the 33 times and have three points. Yep, just I mean, cannot. There's a 79-yard touchdown, pick six. They went for it. I mean, they should. Ugh, dude, losing the six is gonna. Yeah. <laughs> so what? What about this week with that? With that game with. The Sunday night game, we got Bill Steelers, and then the Monday night game, Browns Ravens. We've got some pretty good standalone games coming up this week. I I really like the way the slate is is scheduled. We don't have a ton of the early Sunday games. We've got it pretty well spread out between early and then afternoon games, which just makes it easier for us, right? We're playing, we're betting, we're watching, fan, we're playing fantasy or DFS. We want to be able to see as much of the games as much as we can, and uh, and we're able to do so a little bit more this week. A really nice game on Sunday night with the Bills versus the Steelers. We've got the Bills as a two-and-a-half-point favorite right now. Uh, I think it's two, two-and-a-half. Uh, Over-under in this game is 48 now keep in mind this Pittsburgh team who was undefeated that schedule that they've had where they've had to move games around a bunch of times throughout the year and it was really never their fault which is sort of ironic about this whole thing like they weren't a team that was ever d- did anything wrong with covid yet their games kind of kept getting shuffled around they're again going to be playing on a weird week they're going to be playing against a Bills team that's coming off of uh, they had their bye, and they're coming off of a really strong performance. And I, I, I just have never thought this Pittsburgh team was that great. They're eleven and one. They're eight and four against the spread. Bills are nine and three, seven and five against the spread in here. I, I just, I like the Bills in as a team. I think they're going to win the game here. I just didn't get a, a better number on this game, and I don't know if I would want to take the Bills at two, two and a half when. A few days ago to a week ago You could have gotten this at probably closer to Pittsburgh minus three This opened up at Pitt minus two and a half That's and it's already right. moved yep. to Bills Minus two now it, For me this is just the same Situation we just talked about buy low Sell high this is the lowest that The Steelers team has been valued All this year and this is Probably the highest the Bills team yep. Has been valued this year This is like a 
this is a huge, this is a four-point movement in points, almost five points. That's just way too much for me. That's just way too much. Plus, also, there's certain spots where, A, this is a revenge spot because last last year, the last week of the season, the Bills went into Pittsburgh where when Duck Hodges was a quarterback, and they won that game that was an elimination game for the playoffs, um, and the Bills got that wild card game. So there's revenge factor. And Tomlin's good at coaching certain spots. A us against the world spot in prime in a primetime game. This has always been a Tomlin. Nobody respects spot. us. You know, yeah, this look is at when this. He's able to like rally everybody up. And Tomlin may not be the greatest X's and O's guys, but in terms of motivation and the us against the world stuff, he's phenomenal. I love the Steelers. I right now on the books I use, it's two, one and a half. I'm going to be holding out because there's always going to be that chase money that comes in on the favorite for Sunday night. So I'm going to be holding out and kind of just watching the movement. If this like, if I see it take tinkering and it's going to more Steelers money is coming in, I'll lock in the Steelers at one and a half. If I see bills money coming in, I'm going to wait. I'm going to try to get the best number I can on the steel curtain. The Buffalo bills are very close to locking up the AFC East. If they were able to win here, this that would really, really help their chances. I believe they still have one game left with their their rivals uh, in the AFC, uh, the the Dolphins and the Pats. But they uh, they last won the AFC East in 1995. One third of the players on the Bills were not alive. <laughs> wow! In 95, when that last happened, which is is crazy wow. to think about because I'm. 33 so it's not like I'm old But we've got a bunch of 20 somethings On this Bills team it just shows you how young They are and uh, that This just could be massive For a team I feel older right now man I know right (laughs) This could be massive for a team that's just Never been in a situation Where they're they've been on top Of this this Patriots dynasty That they've they've had to deal with forever so we move to the Monday night football game now. We got the Browns coming off their big, big win. They're nine and three, five and seven against the spread. Baltimore off a must needed victory to give their playoff chances hope again because they do not have a very tough schedule down the stretch. This might be their their most difficult game left uh, on the road playing the Browns. Baltimore is a two point favorite now. This game has moved around a little bit. The total is at forty seven. Just a some other uh, Cleveland stats before we get into some of the analysis of this game. They had a franchise record 38 points in the first half. And Baker Mayfield is now, he's got this uh, this character where every week in the post-game pressers, he's given these quotes from TV shows or movies or something. He was quoted after the game and saying, whenever I'm about to do something, I think to myself, would an idiot do that? And if they would, then I don't do that. And that's a Dwight, a Dwight Schrute from the office quote. Um, this is uh, the Browns who are the uh, Baker was the first Brown with four touchdowns in the first half since Otto Graham in December second, uh, December the second in 1951. How about this? Baker is the only quarterback this year that has thrown four touchdowns in a half, and he's done it twice. He did it in the first half against the Titans And he did it in the second half against the Bengals No Mahomes, no Rodgers Nobody else has thrown for four touchdowns In a half this year Baker's actually done it two different times Which is absurd In their last five games They have two 
The two most efficient passing offensive games of the entire year Those two games I just talked about The week 7 at Cincinnati and week 13 at Tennessee Those are the two most efficient passing games for the Browns since 2006 So everybody's talking about their big run game and how they pound the ball But they're actually able to pass the ball because of the play action that Stefanski's using The Baker had the third best passing grade over the last five weeks He has been the second most efficient overall passing offense And he's only number six in turnover worthy throw weight So he's getting better He he had the most pass attempts without an uncatchable throw In any quarterback has, has had since 2017 last week Was it just one week? Maybe But it's something that gives you a little bit of confidence when They're a team that had those Like a month of games that we As analysts really didn't know how to gauge Eric, they were playing in these Bad weather situations where nobody Could throw the ball, they had no opportunity To do so, they lost Odell Beckham Which has actually been a sort of Sort of a blessing for Baker overall They had to tweak the way they wanted to run Their offense a little bit and really go Run heavy, and I don't know if they're going to win this game or not But I'm very impressed overall with Stefanski and with this Browns team And I It's funny because the the Way that this team has been discussed the last few years Since everybody was so high on them Last year they And they, they stunk Everybody jumped off of them immediately Without realizing hey they're bringing in A new coach they're bringing in A really good offensive line Now and This team is actually pretty good And it's, it's like a lot of people don't want to root for them And I, it's like you and I have started sticking up for them a lot this year I've become like Baker defender and Browns defender And so it is nice to see them win some big games here and there I mean this would be a massive, massive game for them I, I don't really have a strong opinion either way I'll just be sitting back and watching this game But how cool is it that the Browns are going to be playing in a game On Monday Night Football that matters the night after the Bills are playing in a Monday night, a Sunday night football game that matters. It just shows like how much times are changing. And, yep. but it also shows like we talked about with Anthony Lynn a little while ago, you have as a coach, a, you have to be a leader, but also you have to put your players in a position to succeed. It's kind of like Skafanski realized, Hey, I need to use my great offensive line and my running backs to put Baker in a position to be successful with the play action pass. And he's doing a great job of that. Baker, for Stefanski, is playing to Baker's strength, and Baker has looked good. I mean, granted, he's missed a couple throws like that one in the end zone when that guy was completely yeah, a couple wide weeks open. ago, he was awful. And, yeah, he missed that but, bad throw. But he's putting him in a position to be successful, and they're not asking him to win any games, and that's what Baker Mayfield is. He's not, like, one of those top-tier guys that's going to lead you, but he's good enough where the pieces are around him, you can be successful. And this game is a true measuring stick about how good they actually are yep. because you just had a big game against the Titans. You look great. You dominated from start to finish. Game was over, game was basically over in the first quarter. And now you play the Ravens on Monday Night Football, a team that kicked the crap out of you week one of the season. And like a big rival for a while, right? Like them in Pittsburgh have been your daddies for a while. They've been your older brother that just beats on you. It's still like a mental thing, I'm sure, for them looking up and going, 
Ah crap you know things are going well for them but For us but we still got games against Baltimore and Pittsburgh coming up And this is you're just going to see because For a young team and that's what the, the Browns are a young team This is a spot where a lay, an egg is usually Laid and the Ravens yep. opened Up at three Browns money Is coming in it's dropped down to two Earlier in the day and then went, went back up to Two and a half I don't feel confident enough in the Browns to take the points. If this gets something to a pick because the Ravens, their backs are against the wall. I will take them. But, I mean, for me, this is just a stick back because the Ravens, what people are doing is they're playing eight in the box now and forcing Lamar to throw. God only knows if he's going to have Sneed or Andrews back. And if those two are your best pass catchers, can you really trust them to make plays? There's just a lot of questions on both teams. Number-wise, if it moves to the Ravens pick, I'm be invested. But like you, this is probably going to be a stay-away for me. Yeah, mo- mainly just to watch because, uh, I, yeah, I, again, I, I like Cleveland. I'm, I'm happy as a team overall they're doing well, but this is going to be such a tough spot after they were so high. And remember, like, this is a division game, but they they wanted to, to come back and play Tennessee last week because Tennessee beat the crap out of Cleveland the beginning of last year. And sort of embarrassed them when everybody was really high on Cleveland. They made Baker look silly. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. What what we've seen now from Baker was I think the question has been asked where uh, answered at least in that can they beat a good team? Yes. And do they does it have to be just running the ball? No. Last week they ran the ball fine, but it wasn't like they were running, running, running to open it up for the pass. Baker was good. He was just good, and if he's having a good game, which he's not going to have every week, he's capable with their, you know, defense that's good enough to make plays with Garrett on the on the defensive front and with a good enough offense and with an offensive line that is incredible. Um, their offensive line has been just absurd. They are ranked number one since week seven in pressure rate allowed. They allowed one pressure last week. That was. Double the amount of anybody else No team had less had more like than half of that So they have just been absolutely incredible With their line Giving Baker time He's looking confident A fun, fun week for Cleveland Browns fans I'm sure coming off that big win And knowing you really uh, Right now on the uh, on the this, the numbers I, I loved on NBC Sports They got Steve Korniacki uh, there Doing the uh, the percentages of chances for everyone to get in the political advisor and uh he was on uh, at MSNBC I think and he was pointing out that the Browns have a 97% chance to get in they really only if they get to 10 wins they're probably in and if they win this game and get to 10 keep in mind they still have two games coming up with the Giants and with the Jets so uh just a great a great week even in like games that I like for sure which is always great as a better right games that we want but as far as the interesting games, like we said, half of this slate is important and really matters. Yeah, I mean, when teams are playing for something and battling, it's always, like, funner to w- to watch them. Yeah. But, but back to your Browns thing, I mean, if they somehow win this game and then they play Sunday night in primetime at the Giants, that is going to be a hammer spot for the Giants for me. And can you, you know what's what's funny is, so you know Buffalo is now favored against Pittsburgh. If Cleveland wins this game and Buffalo beats Pittsburgh, the Browns have a game against Pittsburgh left. They have an opportunity to still win the division. If, I know. If, 
if they were, which would be just crazy, crazy to think about. So um, a ton of really important stuff. Not to mention, it is the beginning of the fantasy playoffs. We're getting down to the nitty gritty to where you know, if you're in a DFS standpoint, we we have. You know the really good week still It's always nice when you have a lot of options Out there so you always want to keep playing When you got a full slate on so you want to Make sure you take advantage of that over the next Few weeks uh, Eric man Thank you so much I always appreciate it we love Talking sports here with you and we we uh, Can you believe the We're recording this late Thursday night freaking Lakers Clippers got a preseason game tomorrow We're going to be talking some basketball soon Oh I can't believe it I am So excited and I haven't said this For years for my Pistons, even though we're going to be brutal this year, because I actually feel they have a direction. And I yep. mean, they they drafted that kid from France, Killian Hayes, and I cannot wait to watch him play. We're going to be talking basketball coming up uh, in the few weeks with Eric, and we'll have lots of football as we end, uh, we get to the final weeks of the season and then on into the playoffs. Thank you so much, Eric. Make sure to give uh, Eric a follow on social media. Uh, give us your plugs one more time social media, Instagram, and the podcast. Where can we follow you? You can follow me at etoff21sports on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I have a website, etoff21sports, where I track all my bets. And I have a podcast where I post a link on Twitter, Instagram, and it's on my website. Podcast comes out Saturday and Mondays. Do not go anywhere, folks. We got plenty more on That's What G Said. Great stuff, as always, from Eric there helping us out with the NFL Week 14 already That is just crazy So uh, some of the games that I'm looking at Lions plus the 8, Miami Plus the 7, Keep uh, just keep an eye On those numbers, especially the, the Miami You know, plus 7 Tampa and, and minus 6, if I can get around That, under 7 I'm okay with Colts minus the 3 I wouldn't want to take 3.5 or anything more than that 3 or 2.5 is what I'd be looking for Eagles plus the 7 also, you know, the six and a halfs are out there, but make sure you, you get the seven there. And San Francisco minus three. Wouldn't want to take more than three and a half, but at, at three, definitely think San Francisco uh, and that number is pretty good. So uh, NFL week 14, big thank you to Eric for helping us out. Make sure to give him a follow on social media. You'll hear plenty more from him back here on That's What G Said. We tell you quite a bit about Cindy Carava, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said, the full Service Realtor website Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y Carava, C-A-R-A-V-A Dot com You can get all of her contact information there And she can help you out In really anything that you need In the world of real estate Selling, purchasing, leasing She can connect you with vendors Like handyman, painters, landscapers Gardeners that she's personally used In her own home If you need help getting pre-approved for a loan she can connect you with the lenders that she's worked closely with and can highly recommend. She covers all parts of the San Gabriel Valley, North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. She can even help you get a free market analysis of your home's value. And the website, one more time, cindycarava.com, even offering a Black Friday sale all throughout 2020. So if you list Purchase or refi your home with Cindy Carava by December the 31st. She will compensate you for up to $1,500 for services, including appraisal, physical inspection, and home warranty. She wants to get you and your family into a new home this holiday season. You can also give her a call for any information, 626-394-6400. Full service realtor, Cindy Carava. Make sure to let her know that Gino sent you. 
Okay, we make the transition on over into horse racing and another big stable duel weekend. Let's talk about the schedule for stable duel coming up this weekend. You got Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Keep an eye out for the folks, Bree Mod and the crew. They're down there at, at Gulfstream Park having a blast. And Gulfstream is going to be the focus really of the weekend uh, at Stable Duel. On Friday, there's a $10 contest at Tampa. And then at Gulfstream, there's a $25 top 10 contest. They also have a $100 triple up. The winner of that contest gets free entry into the big Saturday contest, which is the final furlong $20,000 challenge. On Friday, there's also a Los Alamitos contest for 10 bucks Los Al Thoroughbred. So on Saturday, you've got the Gulfstream $150 entry contest. It's a $20,000 contest. It's the final furlong game. The winner gets a 1% share of a racehorse chasing daylight. The second and third place finishers also get some swag from final furlong. So you have the opportunity to play into a huge contest where the winner is going to win a 1% share of this racehorse. You also have the opportunity to win some swag if you finish second, third on top of the cash prizes. A Los Alamitos $10 contest on Saturday. And then the Tampa free ride. Yeah, you've heard us talk about Stable Duel a bunch. This is a contest for free with cash prizes. Try it out right now. Go download the app. Stable Duel, build your lineup. It does not cost you anything to download the app, and you don't have to pay a cent to get in this contest. And you can win money if you finish in the money. Sunday, Gulfstream $25 buy-in, Laurel $50 double up, and then you got a $5 buy-in at Los Alamitos. So over the weekend, we've got Tampa, Gulfstream, Los Al, and Laurel Park. All options for you. Big ones at Gulfstream Park. Opportunity to win a 1% share of a racehorse. Who who has ever wanted to own a racehorse, but financially maybe it didn't work? Here, for $150, you can have the, t- the, the chance to win this contest and get the 1% share of a racehorse. How cool would that be? What a story to tell. Stable duel, big weekend. So we are going to cover the Friday races at Gulfstream. I'm going to give you a couple of my best plays for Friday, which would be Horses to use in your Friday stable dual lineups. Immediately following this, we're going to be talking Gulfstream Friday. We're going to talk Saturday Gulfstream because there's that big contest. And then Saturday Tampa. So if you're a stable dual player, we're going to get you all set up with some horses, I think, that you want to throw into your lineups and some horses that um, are intriguing to me coming up on Friday Gulfstream, Saturday Gulfstream, Saturday Tampa, and let's turn the page on over and get you to Gulfstream for Friday. I'm going to talk races 3, 4, 5, 9, and 10 on the Friday card. Get the past performances out for December the 11th. Let's go to race number 3. Third race is a maiden 50. They're going to go a mile on the turf. you got fillies and mares, 3-year-olds and up. I think the 3-horse, is a, it's a total pedigree play. And a filly who's 8-1 on the morning line She did absolutely nothing in her debut That was sprinting at Churchill Against better, against maiden special weights She missed the break Just never got into it, never got into it. Now she's going to stretch out She's going to go longer She's going to drop in class And she is bred just beautifully 
for the grass. I think she's going to get a little money in a stable duel situation. That's fine. To me, she's more like a 3-4 to 1 shot in here than an 8 to 1 shot in here. Look at some of the pedigree that she has. She, the dam has produced the, the dam won her only start going long on the turf. She's produced seven winners from eight to race, including horses like Admission Office, Coffee Click. We're talking legitimate, really nice, good, graded stakes winning horses. So this is a good pedigree for a maiden 50 in here. I'd imagine somebody puts in a claim for 50. But, you know, you see a horse who ran so poorly in their debut, this could be a whole different ball game stretching out going a mile in the turf. If she's anything over 4-1, to one, I'm playing Zoology. I'm using her in Stable Duel. Make sure to throw her in your early pick fives. However, you're playing the, the Friday races at, at Gulfstream. And yeah, if she's individually, when this race shows up, if she's around 4-1, to one, we're going to play her to win her. So I wouldn't want to take any lower than 3-1, to one, though, on her. We get to race number 4. And I'm looking at Skyfly as sort of a, a flyer. She... She's a little sneaky in here. She's only got the three published works, and uh, the dam won the debut going five and a half furlongs, was a multiple stakes winner, won $400,000. This barn is really good with young horses. They're really good first time out of the box. I don't mind the outside draw for the two-year-old. Throw the eight, Skyfly in. If she opens up really live on the board, you know, you'll know that she's very live in here, and if she's about three to one, Put a few bucks on her to win Skyfly, maybe one to use as sort of an interesting horse with not a ton of information, but we know a barn that's capable um, and drawn well and uh, a sneaky work or two. So Skyfly will be using in the exotics. As we move to race number five, maybe just a horse to throw in the three majestic row. First time gelding. I, I thought after his first race... He was really, really nice, and then he came back in February, and I didn't mind his second effort. His last couple starts, he just he was in a little tough. Now he's going to go first-time gelding. He's going to drop in class. He's going to go third start off the bench, getting ready for what I feel like could be the best career effort for him. If he's got a little more ability, he should show it in this spot. That's the number three majestic row. Throw him in your early pick fives. If he's around... 7 to 2, 4 to 1. Maybe we'll put a few bucks to win on uh, a majestic row. Two more. One in race number 9, one in race number 10. Let's go to race number 9. And it's the three risk manager who I'm, I'm possibly looking at as an exotic single. The four will take some money. Tarantino will also take some money. I was really impressed with risk manager's win. Going long, first time out of the box as a two-year-old, not ever easy to do, sat off just like a pro. There isn't a ton of speed in this race. I think maybe one or two others that'll go. And Risk Manager could be sitting again in a really nice spot where he just puts himself in striking range early on. That's the number three, Risk Manager. Make sure to use him in all of your exotics. I'm not sure if he's going to be a horse that we can really play to win. He might be... Short if he gets played, and you know anything lower than two to one, I really wouldn't want to bet him to win. But if you're building some sort of late exotics, he might be a horse to key some of them around. And then in race number ten, I I think the five, who is a to me a fair favorite in here, pay any price, quick, has some class in this spot, so it looks like they're in a win spot for pay any price. I think with his speed. 
he could be tough. But there are a couple other horses at prices that uh, I, I want to throw into the mix and at least use them in some sort of tries, exact as supers. So let's play things. Use the five with the three and the seven. How how you're going to use the five in this race, I'm going to also use the three and the seven with them. Maybe I'll play a win wager on Mr. Tip if I can get eight to one or so on him as a first-time gelding who could sit a really, really nice trip in here. The way pay any price gets beat is if Corky and a couple of the other speeds end up going. I thought the three Kobe 52 at nice value is a horse who could finish underneath bottom of some of your exotics. So let's use the five with the three and the seven. I'll I'll probably have some, you know, late exotic tickets with three, five, and seven there. Friday Gulfstream Park. Don't forget about the Friday Gulfstream Park contest, the stable duel contest. Best of luck over on Friday as we turn the page to Saturday. And let's start on Saturday with uh, with our three best plays over at Tampa. Remember, there's a free roll stable duel contest. It's a daily horse racing contest. You have to pick 10 horses throughout the day at Tampa to complete your lineup. You have a salary cap of $50,000, and you're going to be picking horses to fill the lineup based on their morning line prices. So there's a, a, a money, a dollar amount assigned to each horse that's based on their morning line. So one thing that you're sort of looking for to, in a stable duel contest is which horses are going to be bet down off of their morning line which horses are in situations where maybe it's a small field, maybe they're lone speed. They look like they're they're never it's never a guarantee, but they look like they're very likely to be in a situation to hit the board. You're going to be picking up points if your horse finishes first, second, third, fourth, or fifth in stable duel. You get more points for the margin of victory there. So let's go to race number three at Tampa. This is a horse who I'm going to throw into my lineup. I'm playing to win if we can get Shivery. Uh, at around five to two. Remember Shivari, who was in some some good races uh, early on in his three year old campaign in 2020. Remember him from the Swale. He was second in the Florida Derby, second in the Hutchinson. We saw him in the Bluegrass and then in the Travers. So he he was in some tough races against some tough company. Tis the Law, Art Collector, uh, you know, multiple times beaten by uh, by Tis the Law, and last time out. He came off the bench. He hadn't raced since August, and it was over at Gulfstream Park, and it was in the slop. You know, he actually didn't run that poorly. He was in the mix. He was in between. He was battling, kind of pressing just off, and he just got tired late, and I don't think he loved the racetrack. Now he's going to make his second start off the bench, second start after you know the three months off or so, and I'm expecting a much better effort from him. Shivari. Be using Shivari in your uh, exotics and uh, at 5-2 to two or so, throw him uh, a few bucks on the win end. Let's move to race number 6 at, at Tampa on Saturday. And I'm looking at the number 7 here. I just don't know who goes with Will early on. Old Bill, Bill Crotty, William Crotty. He's got to get the lead here, right? He comes in from Belterra and from Thistledown. But there is just not a ton of early speed. Maybe bad student who's stretching out can show some other pace in here, but I think this horse is going to have a major early advantage over this group. William Crotty, the number seven. If he's around nine to two, I'm making a win wager. He's definitely going to be in some of my stable dual lineups there on Saturday at Tampa. Third and final race we want to discuss is race number nine at Tampa. 
And I'm looking at the number four, Lucky Jingle, who is a horse who I've followed now for quite some time. He had some pretty big efforts in his two-year-old and then, you know, a couple uh, of ant-type efforts on paper as a three-year-old, but really dig into them. So his first race at, uh, in October, he comes back at Pimlico. It's over a yielding turf course. He hasn't raced since November of 2019, so we're talking about 11 months here. And he ends up in a race with three next-out winners. He runs really well that day. And just from a straight speed figure perspective, you don't really hear me talk a whole ton about just speed figures, but where Lucky Jingle stacks up, Anything close to that race in that first race in October on the grass would be really competitive here. I said he a few times talking about the three-year-old filly Lucky Jingle. It, we have right to believe that she will improve off of that first October effort because she's now going to be making her third start of the form cycle. She didn't run that poorly last time out, and we can make a lot a reason, an excuse, and put a line right through it. So now she actually got something out of that race too. She got a little fit. She got a little more fitness. She should be ready to fire a big effort here. Lucky Jingle. Horse who I may be using in some sort of a late exotic single situation. I might be also including uh, along with Cavassier. And you have to say it like the ladies man. Like Tim Meadows. I love a little glass of Cavassier. With the, the Tim Meadows lady man voice. Well that's disgusting. So four... Lucky Jingle with uh, the one, Curvoisier, as just kind of a total wild card. In the third race, the number three, Shiva Ree at around 5-2. to two. In the sixth race, the number seven, William Crotty at around 9-2 uh, to two or so. I'll make a win wager. And in the ninth, the number four, Lucky Jingle. Anything over 5-2 to two makes sense. The, the ninth race, the number four, Lucky Jingle with the number one, Curvoisier. Now we head to Gulfstream Park for Saturday, and we have a guest joining us to talk Gulfstream Saturday and the four graded stakes races. Barry Spears joins us. We talk race four, race six, race nine, and race ten. Kick back and enjoy, and then following our conversation, I'll just give a quick little recap of my picks in the in those races one more time. I'll throw in a, a pick for uh, race number eight that I also uh, have a just a quick hit on. But we we talked for about a half hour about the four graded stakes races on Saturday. Kick back and enjoy with Barry. Here we go, talking some this weekend on that's what geez podcast and we are in the Gulfstream Park Championship meet. This is in my opinion, you can probably compare it with Saratoga. Del Mar's maybe gone a little uh, a little lackluster some of the last few years, maybe not as deep. You get the Keeneland meets, but this right there with them as far as quality of horses, quantity, big fields, deep races. We didn't have the biggest fields in the stakes, but we have a pretty good card to talk about and joining me, Barry Spears, good friend of the show. Great follow on social media, handicapper, and he, uh, someone that definitely knows Gulfstream Park very well. Barry, how you doing, buddy? Hanging in there, man. Doing well. Uh, just kind of riding out to the new year. Hopefully, we can get there without any more hiccups. <laughs> exactly. We're like, we're all, we're all excited to turn to 21, 2021. We're all thinking it can't be worse, right? But then we don't want to say that out loud. 
You know, you don't want to see it's like we don't want to just like bring it upon us because maybe something else can happen. Who knows? But I think we'll all be very happy to be uh, turning the page into 2021 into the new year. But uh, one thing that's been great over the last year or so, uh, we've become good friends here with uh, with Barry on that's what G said. He's helped us out handicapping uh, on some big days at multiple different tracks. I think last time we talked to Barry was Breeders' Cup. But now we're into the the fun the fun golf stream meet. This is. Uh, one of my favorites and just a, a great me. I mean, what's cool about this is from the middle of the week through the weekends on the big days, you get big fields, you get really playable races all the time here. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of what the big outfits kind of look towards for the winter. So mm-hmm. everybody's down there. They're, they're unveiling their two-year-olds. And I mean, you know, they, things are, things are going to start picking up and, and uh, we're going to get a, a glimpse of what the Kentucky Derby picture may look like too. So um, hopefully we won't have it in September this year, but yeah, hey, yeah. you know, uh, we'll get to see some nice racing and uh, you know, it, it'll, it'll slide itself right into the new year and hopefully things will, will look up. So we've got four, we have, there's five stakes on the card, four graded stakes. We're going to talk about those four graded stakes races right here, and we will start with race number four. So if you're following along, go ahead and get your past performances out. We're looking at Gulfstream Park for Saturday, December the 12th, and we're in race number four. We're looking at the grade three Rampart. And this one, and I think in the first couple races that we're going to be looking at, Barry, what is interesting is that they're they're not big fields, but there are some really quality horses in the fields. And it seems like I think in race four and in race six, probably there's a good amount of speed. Like some of the major contenders really want to be close to it early. We look at Latruska, who's pretty quick. You look at uh, Bayesian girl, who's also pretty quick. Uh, and and then you have Sally's Curlin, who's kind of the opposite. She's going to come from out of it. So uh, hmm. it's, it's not a massive field, but it's, a, it's definitely an interesting short group here. Who, uh, who do you look to and, and kind of how do you see this race? Well, you know, I, I looked at this, this race. I probably looked at it too hard and too long um, because, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I, I kind of was like, well, this guy has a shot. And, uh, you know, this horse, uh, you know, good credence has a shot. But you know what? A- after really, really taking a look at everything. Um, I just think Latruska is, is going to be very, very hard to beat. Um, I know the, uh, inside horse Bayesian girl, um, you know, has some speed, but it looks, you know, at least on paper, it looks like a little bit of cheap speed. I mean, the last two races at at Gulfstream Park West, which is a completely different surface, um, just all the way around. And, and, it, and it's obvious that that horse takes to that surface. I mean, nobody was around that horse at all in those two starts coming off the bench since May. Um, I just think Latruska is a faster horse. And if Latruska can get on the lead and dominate the pace and, and, and dictate, you know, her terms, uh, she's going to be very, very hard to beat. Uh, you know, it, it, it kind of is a, a little kind of fooled me at first on paper because it looks like there's a lot of speed. But um, I just I think sh- Latruska is a little bit better than the rest of these. And if she controls up front, she's going to be tough to beat. I sort of I sort of did the same as you, is that I, I don't think I can use Bayesian Girl in this race. And and I have to use Latruska in, in all exotics here. She's not a, f- a favorite or a short price that I would be trying to beat. Uh, I, I think 
There are many versions of this race where Latruska just clears the field and she's just way faster than what Bayesian girl, like you said, kind of looks to be on, looks to have some speed on paper. You dig into those races though, she's not really capable of going nearly as quick early as Latruska is. And so it's a little bit deceiving because you you see the ones and sometimes we're, we're, oh, speed, speed. We'll not really dig into it a little bit more. Latruska does look like she is a lot faster. Now, let's say. There are versions of this race where for some reason Bayesian girl gets sent really hard Maybe even a horse like Crumb Bun Or even Good Credence and they decide Hey we have to get sent and go To try to keep up with Latruska early And maybe those There's a combination of those four horses That end up going a little faster than they should And they put the pressure on Latruska There are a couple versions of this race Where I think that could happen And then Sally's Curl is super nice I, you know, she's really honest. You know what you're going to get with her, Barry. She's going to come running. The yep. problem, like we said, is just is is this the type? She's won at Gulfstream, and and she and I and I have no issue with her coming closing in a race where there's enough speed to set up for it. But I don't know if she's a little too far back. Is she going to come running and and be like a good second or third? I can sort of see that with her. She's getting a nice drop in class. She's faced some really nice horses oh, in her yeah. last couple. Um, I kind of treat. The wild card in here as Dreamery Because I think In the race against the Bayesian girl A couple starts back she just Got caught behind Bayesian girl Going wire to wire that happens a lot of Times if you're just not a horse that's quick enough To keep up and Dreamery If if Latruska loses It's probably because They went they went too fast Early Dreamery feels like She might be one of the horses who could be in front of Sally's curlin and sort of just fall into a good trip. Yep. Uh, you know, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, if you look at Latruska's past performances and, you know, she really <laughs> doesn't do well when, when she gets, uh, you know, a lot of pressure. So there's definitely a, a, a sense that if, if a horse like Beijing girl wants to just go all out and say, Hey, we're just going to take the race to you. Um, it, it it could mean curtains for yep. a horse like Latruska, but, but um, the problem is she might just be they they may not be able to do that, right? Right? It's yeah. not. It's just like when you're you're just better and faster, and you're playing one on one with someone on the court, and you're like, I'm gonna go right, and they can't stop you. You know, Correct. like this is a situation <laughs> sort of like that. It's like I'm gonna tell you what I'm doing, and you're still not gonna be able to stop me, and that it. So we just don't. I don't really. I can't leave out Latruska for that reason because. She does, she's not like completely vulnerable in that She just might be way faster <laughs> Right, and and you know, if you kind of pick apart the rest of the PPs You know, Dream Marie definitely looks like the beneficiary of any kind of uh, pace duel Also, along with Sally's Curlin um, Just from a class standpoint uh, It's probably just a little bit better than the rest of them um, You know, and it, and it it's it's a really deceiving race because you could get you know one of these horses like Crumbun, or or you know and just run off and and mm-hmm. try to and, and just kind of mess up the whole race. Yeah, uh, but we'll see. I, I just think Latruska looks a little bit dominant here. Um, you know, looking at who she's faced in the past, what she's been doing, you know, up until her last race, um, she should be pretty. She should be ready to go fresh off the bench But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised Honestly if any of these horses win um, But it, it would have To take you know uh, Somebody take a really 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 good shot At Latruska in order to to kind of Mess things up yeah she'd have to take a little bit of a Step back and and mm-hmm. the, the, the Scenario she'd have to really get 
get hooked by a couple of the inside horses. It looks like maybe good credence if they wanted to. Like if they these horses would have to get aggressive, and that would have to be the game plan. Like, hey, we're gonna go after her early. Um, so yeah, for me, I would. I'm I'm like Latruska and Dream Marie. To me, Dream Marie is the wild card. I'm kind of curious what the price she is. And uh, keep in mind, there's a, a pretty big stable duel contest on Saturday too. So when I'm looking at some of these races, I'm I'm kind of thinking in like a stable duel sense too. For some of them, what's nice is that uh you know you, you you're playing off these morning lines. So if you're sniffing out a horse or two that you think might get bet down, that's always a nice horse to use in stable duel because you're playing at like a horse who's like a get like you're paying five to one morning line and they end up going off at five to two. So you're getting a five to two shot that you paid five to one. Um, it's kind of a, a little thing you're looking for a lot of times when you're building your lineup. So keep an eye on the the Gulfstream Park Stable Duel contest there. But yeah, the, I'm with you. Latruska can't leave out. Uh, I would keep an eye on the price you get with Dream Marie. Sally's curling is so honest. You know what you're going to get from her. And if they go quick enough, she's definitely good enough to win. It's just on this kind of a track in this small field, I think she probably needs a little more pace. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. We're okay. on the same page. <laughs> we move on to race number six. We're going to look at the second graded stakes race on the card. There, this is the Grade Three Sugar Squirrel Six Furlongs. The distance here, and uh, again, not a not a big field, but some quality horses here. Ladies Island is really fast, and she's capable of, of good things. Golden Amy is two for two. She actually won over this track last year, and then she went up to Woodmine and was really, really impressive. You have uh, Cinnabunny, who's another one who's coming in from Parks and, and comes into the Brad Cox barn, and she's won <laughs> a couple in a row, and she's been really, really impressive. Aunt Nadine is capable of uh, a, of a big effort, so not again, not a big field, but one that when you start to go through the field, you can make cases for most. There, there wouldn't be a shock to see Sound Machine or Bronx Beauty get a good trip if they go too quick in here. So another really intriguing race because. The horses that might not be as good They seem like they might get the trip That wins You know the better horses might all kind of be Showing speed but they're showing speed At six we're not talking about six and a half Or seven so they can maybe Still show the speed in battle This is a a pretty fascinating race For just a small field like this Yeah you know that that's what Stood out to me there's a lot of speed Um, I would gather Not everybody wants to go To the front Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, you know, a game of who do you think can sit off the pace? Um, because there, there's going to be a, one of these horses. I, I would gather golden Ami, um, definitely wants to go to the front. They're, they're probably going to send if they don't, um, you know, a horse like Cinnabunny could be the, the, the great beneficiary, even though, you know, I, I was really torn on that horse, um, only because those races at parks weren't really that good. Yeah. Um, and this is this is a real class test for that horse. Absolutely. So I can forgive, even if the horse doesn't run that great here, I can forgive that and just chalk that up as experience for the next race down the mm-hmm. road, which, you know, is I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get into the head of a trainer here, which is probably the worst thing you could try to do. <laughs> but um, it, it, it seems like this is a, this is. The race before the race they want to win. This is like seeing what, where where you where you stack up almost, right? You know, just exactly. like a, a hey, where stack. where does she fit here with this group? Like maybe there aren't any. There are some nice horses in here, but not monsters. But we just don't really know where she stacks up coming in. Yeah, I, I right. kind of agree. She's like a wild, a total like wild card sort of X factor. Yeah, because that horse could blow the doors off these, and 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 we'd be like, oh well, 
that's that's what it was you know yep. it wouldn't it wouldn't be a surprise at all and the horse i actually went with is aunt nadine yep me too um, even though she doesn't really fit the bill here a little bit on the cheaper side she's gonna get the right trip um all things being equal she's gonna be there at the end i think um just based on the fact that she's gonna have the outside presence She's going to be able to stalk whomever's inside of her. So, you know, all the speed is inside of her, of course, because she's in the nine hole um, or the six hole. Uh, but um, I think that she's going to sit a great trip. And, th- and that may mean more than than actually her speed figures or anything else. She's going to be in the right spot. And that's um, why, you know, and the right price. And, that, and that's kind of my double head sword there. If you're the right price and you're going to get a good trip, I'm going to have to use you. Completely agree. I, I like Nadine quite a bit. If we get around three to one, seven to two, that's that seems really fair to me in a race that that is contentious on paper. They are they're all quality, but for the exact reasons that you said, and she's she's drawn to the outside, which is great. She's not going to be forced to go. And I think last time that might have been a little to her detriment. Like she can win on the lead. She just she broke really well, and then nobody else went, and she was she was running fine on the lead, and then what ended up happening. The, she lost because a horse got right up the inside of her, and yep. and sometimes you know if she was able to hug the rail, she wins that race, uh, and and they have to go around. So she, she lost, and she didn't really have excuses in that she got a pretty easy lead and was doing it her own way. But I think this race, I'm looking at it just like you, like she's gonna get a different trip, sort of exactly like the trip she got back two races at Keeneland, like anything similar to that type of trick. Where she beat next out winner sequin She beat another next out winner last time out I, I really like her a lot in this spot Aunt Nadina I'm, I'm completely with you It just feels like she's going to Get a great great setup Yeah that's what I'm hoping for If she's you know if she's her morning line that, That's going to be a great uh, A great play I'll, I'll use like if you're playing under and and probably on like some other tickets depending on if you're playing you know pick threes or anything here in the middle of the card um you know go, I think I'm probably most intrigued of the others by golden Amy just because you know she just might be really really nice and maybe maybe she sits second or third in here and has just been in a situation where she's just been so much better than horses she just shows speed but she doesn't need the lead like that might be that you know, she, I could see that happening here because she's she's lightly raced enough to just for us to just say, hey, like she just might be good enough to sit off and win. I, I'm more <clears throat> inclined to believe that horses like Ladies Island and 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 probably Cinnab- and maybe Cinnabunny, like horses that we've seen more of, I, and they've always shown speed, like ten, you know, multiple over and over times versus a horse like this who's only raced twice. Maybe she still can sit off and, and figure it out. She's she's another one who I think might have a lot of ability. So um, I'm I'm using Aunt Nadine. I'm probably betting Aunt Nadine to win, but I'll probably throw Golden Amy in on some of my exotics too, and, and under with uh, Nadine for sure. Yeah, I mean it, it's tough because Gulfstream is a is a is a track where you have to get positioned early, mm-hmm. especially in the six furlong races. And if you if you're two lakhs daysical, you're going to get beat because you're not going to be able to pass anybody. And um, even I, I've seen horses that were much the best on paper. Um, Get out slow, or and they're know, like doesn't get early, an aggressive ride. And you know and, early, right? What yeah, sucks is you when you bet one of those do. horses, you know instantly because you could see the way they're traveling, like early in the race, and you're like, ah, uh, I got no shot. 
They're not they're like not getting over the track and then all of a sudden boom that you know halfway through they start to kick it in you know you're going to get one of those late running seconds or thirds you know so you're right it, it is one of those tracks where you you have to at least have the positional speed to put yourself in a spot early and then you can kind of settle and relax and if they go quick that's fine but if you're not like if you don't get a good stride going early and start to get comfortable, like you as better sometimes we just it's quick where we start ripping those tickets up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it's crazy when they come around the into the stretch off the far turn. I mean, you, you really pretty much have a good idea what your horse is going to be doing. Yep. Um, you know, it, you hardly see horses just, you know, fall apart unless there's like, you know, three or four horses scrambling for the lead. Um but in a race like this of this caliber, um, they go. And and if you're not there in the right spot, you know, maybe a length or two out at the top of the stretch, you're going to have a hard time making up ground. We move on to race number nine, the third of the four graded stakes races on the car. There is another stakes in the eighth race, not a bad race, but we're going to talk about just the, the, the graded stakes here. So we're looking at the Harlan's Holiday Mile in the 16th. Uh, grade three event and there are a couple Familiar names uh, in here we have uh, Math wizard who is a Grade one winner we've got tax Who was a horse who was in the derby And was in the belmont won the jim dandy Been a familiar horse over the last Couple years uh, fat man Who has had some good races at, at Gulfstream park and is capable of A, a big one and then you got a nice up and comer Like tatouage towards the outside So again we don't have a field Of uh, 12 14 in here but this is it's a contentious group, you know. You can make cases for for a, a many in here. Who are some of the horses you're going to make cases for, Barry? Well, I know who I'm not. There's two horses that I'm totally against here, and that's Tax and Math Wizard. I do not like either one of them. I, I gave up on Tax uh, back on <laughs> uh, during the Pegasus, where he just did not show up. Just didn't plain didn't show up at all. Got thumped by 15 lengths and just was not even around. I, he did stumble a little bit out of the gate to his detriment and and to his credit. But then he followed that up, you know, off the layoff with another just eh kind of performance where you would expect him to be better, and he just wasn't. And I I just don't know. He at two to one morning line. That's my I, issue. I, I can't do it. He, he's no the way. type of horse who I I'm fine playing with, <clears throat> like playing him. As like an 8 to 10 to 1 shot In that situation I don't mind him Where because he's got some class And he's the type of horse who He's capable of showing up with a really Good effort just not Consistently he's he's capable Here and there if things go really well for him For wow like winning a big one He's kind of versatile he can sort of sit a nice trip And kind of grind and he can sort of run all day But I, I look at this race And I think he's definitely the class And I would I would use him in the second and third spots But if you're playing a pick four or pick five I am completely fine with playing Against him here He's just got so many question marks for me At a a short price And I if he is two to one If he is five to two or anything in that neighborhood oh, that's, too short, <laughs> that's too short for me Like I need yeah. about four or five to one In this spot to, to be okay with him And that's why I just pref- It's like he I don't know I feel this way in other sports too Like there are teams that When I'm betting the football game I don't like betting them when they're like Seattle for some reason. We just saw it with this weekend. I don't like betting them when they're a heavy favorite. 
against any. But if they're like a, sh- a short underdog against someone, I'm fine with them because I still think Russ can beat anyone. But it's just it's weird. It's like I, this is a situation I feel like with Tax, where in a, in a race where if he was eight ten to one, I'd feel fine with. Oh, you know what? Yeah, he's capable. That's a fair price for him to jump up and and compete with some really good horses. In a field like this, where you have to trust him, because if you feel comfortable, if you love Tax, you'd have to be singling him. You know, right. like exotics and stuff And I'm just, like, at, at that kind of a price To go, okay, my whole pick five ticket Or pick four is going to be hinged on tax In this race, like, I can't do it I just can't Yeah, if he wins, you can have him Because uh, I'm not going to have it So where do you go? <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a strange thing I, I was really, really excited um, About uh, Royal Earn Initially And, oh man my uh, computer's stopping on me, okay. um, but uh, he he kind of is a little bit cheap, and that led me to go to uh, the outside horse, outside of Math Wizard, um, Tadwige. I mean, I, I think this horse is ready to break through. This is the type of field that that um, you can kind of get that with, because there's no uh, there's no world beaters here yep. by any means, and and all these horses just. You know, like tax. I mean, you know, tax math wizard. They're they're kind of underachieving sort of types. I mean, math wizard hadn't hasn't won since September two thousand nineteen, and tax was July two thousand nineteen. Right, and and they haven't <laughs> yeah. shown up since. So uh, I'm looking for some new blood. Tadweej may be a little bit too short, um, and it was just it was just tough. I mean, this is a really tough race. I mean, Fat Man. At that price, you, you got to respect him. Um, but I think he's going to end up going off the favorite, and I don't want that. So, I mean, I, I was kind of torn between uh, Roy Earn and Todd Weege, but I, I think I'm going to go with Todd Weege uh, just because, you know, that horse is probably looking to break through. Yeah, and, you know, I'm looking at Tax, Fat Man, Math Wizard. Like, Tax is probably the quickest of those. I mean, and, and he's not really quick. He's sort of grindy. I think Totwege has an opportunity to either get the lead if they want, and maybe, or maybe if Royal Urn wants to try to get aggressive and, and Totwege can sit right behind. I was pretty impressed with his effort. And I think people will look at it. He was a, a little bit green late. It doesn't bother me when that happens when, in the slop. And an off track, a horse can wander a little bit in an off track late. You know, yeah. it's an off racetrack. It's sloppy. It it doesn't bother me as much as when they just are completely drifting on a dry track where they got a great trip and they got everything their own way. This is a horse who was supposed to be really, really good. I mean, they paid a ton of money for this horse, <laughs> and his mama was a millionaire and a Grade One winner. And sometimes they just take a little longer to develop. He's not done a whole lot wrong. He's won three in a row. He's looking for his fourth. Sort of similar to what we were saying with uh with. Nadine earlier I like this course With this draw drawn to the Outside in a race that he might Be the speed of the speed he might Be sitting second if someone wants To go we've seen that he can sit off with No problem and that's what happened last time He, he drew the rail he actually Just kind of tracked nicely from third and He angled off the rail to the three Path and he just moved right by like He was better than that group because he was Is this a step up yep is he going to have to step up? Absolutely, but he's he's doing so. He's stepping up a little bit every time. One more slight step forward, plus the benefit of maybe getting a length or two on the field or getting a length or two on some of the main contenders. We uh, we might be in trouble because we land on the same horse here again, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. Well, you know the, the thing is too that that gives me pause with Todd Weege is there's there's 
definitely a situation where that horse might go off favored. Yep. Which would sure. not be ideal. No. Um, you know, and that's why I kind of look to uh, Royal Earn a little bit because he does have some speed, even though he's coming out of those Jersey bred races, which aren't that spectacular by any means. But it's another situation where that horse might be in the right spot at the right time, you know, because and these these other horses are really kind of closers and they, they don't really like to finish. And yeah, yeah, I completely it's, agree. It's, it's he, strange. He could fall right into it. He's an absolute user, and I, and I agree with you. Like, because on paper we could look at this race, and a lot of people could be saying the same thing. Like, oh, okay, I'm I'm overtaxed for now, and I <laughs> and Fat Man I respect, but he might be coming from a little bit too far back in this spot. And uh, Math Wizard hasn't really been in his best you know form as of late. So let's go for the new face, Tot Weege. And if he is you know two to one or something, that's that's probably a little short. And Royal Urn might be the horse to use in some of your exotics that, and maybe even if he doesn't win, you know, maybe he leads the way or is able to sit second and hit the board Hang on. at, yeah. at you no know, ten to fifteen to one in a small field, and that's where you get, you know, you spice up your exacto, your try, your super, something like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and, and you're always looking for value, mm-hmm. um, and he may be the one that creates value in exotics and, and underneath rather than the. The top spot so something to consider Especially you know within pick fours Pick threes doubles Absolutely Absolutely. as we Move on to the Fort Lauderdale Mile and an eighth grade two on the Turf course here and this one we we Have a a nice sized field and we have a, A real quality Field here too we've got a couple horses Towards the outside that were in the Breeders Cup mile And factor this and in holiday Some like it hot brown is a, a nice One who's capable of really really big Stuff down on the inside We've got uh, you know just Some other decent tur- Like distance turf horses like breaking The rule channel breaking the rules channel Cat's been around for a while Largent is A long shot but not without a, a, a Chance spooky channels another This is a, a another race That on paper, you know, the major contenders here, like some like it hot brown and the two to the outside, all seem like they want to be right on the lead. And I don't know if they want to sit. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's tough. I mean, they're going to, they're not all going to go. Yeah, I they mean, can't. Th- there's no way because you have, you have other horses like uh, Doswell who's going to show speed. And, you know, you don't, you, you don't want to be the fifth horse. Out five wide out. And a yeah. five horse duel So I mean Somebody's going to have to do something else um, Which brings me to my Pick of Spooky Channel um, I, I was At Gulfstream uh, When he won on the Pegasus undercard And I was just like How the hell did this horse win Just had no clue <laughs> And then I, I, and I, and I put the horse in my Stable mail and I followed him ever since And it was the dream trip of a lifetime that the horse got. And he might get that on Saturday. Yep. Um, just because of the pace scenario, he's going to be out wide. He's in the eight spot. He was wide and clear that day and just, you know, kind of grinded it out. And, and I think he's going to be in the right spot to do the same thing again at a good price. You know, uh, it, it just looks too easy for, you, you know, anybody to take either factor this or Halliday. Um, I can't on but, top. I but, can't on the win end. Right. Like, I mean, they both have similar running styles. I mean, you, you have to think they're they're going to be all out. Um, and, and, and even right just for in, somebody coming from behind. 
in specifically knowing about these horses too, you like just re- I remember you know doing the Breeders' Cup research and stuff and reading about Holiday in his previous races when he won the couple races at Gulfstream and then in the Bernard Baruch when they tried to sit off the pace, they said he's just not as good off the pace, and so they they kind of know they're gonna go factor this really just goes and and they're gonna try to do this at a mile and an eighth too with. The outside draw which makes it even more Difficult for either one of them so um, I'm gonna sort of Look at this race in a uh, I'm absolutely using spooky channel and I'm Gonna look at this in I'm gonna try to beat Some of the shorter priced horses Who I think are gonna take money and I'm assuming You're gonna be on the lead and so I'm gonna be completely Against those two we mentioned at the outside And some like it hot brown on the win End and I'm gonna use four Horses in, in a lot of my exotics And I'm gonna be using two four six and eight because I think those are the horses who may benefit the most Breaking the rules He hasn't really had excuses in the last couple um, he, he 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 got like a little bit shuffled back But he's another one who just feels like If he's sitting fourth or fifth Should get a perfect great trip from off the pace in here I think the same can be said for Delaware You you know mentioned all the reasons to like Spooky Channel Who with the right trip off the pace gets it And even Largent is a horse who I think At a big price can sit maybe right behind some Has shown that he's got enough speed To kind of put himself in striking range early And maybe force some of the other horses To have to work hard And then he can tuck in right behind him And maybe fall into a spot And at least give you a you know a, a little bit of value Hitting the board here So yeah, yeah we sort that, of see the race the same way Yeah the horse that, that At a price that, that uh, caught my attention Was Channel Cat um, ran a, a really good third in this race last year and actually as the favorite, which was kind of surprising to see. Um, I, I think that horse might get overlooked, especially if they go quick early. Um, that's going to be a horse that, that, that may have something to say at the end. And I'm not taking that horse off my radar. The one that that's really puzzling is, is Delaware. It's like, what do you do with a horse like Delaware? I mean, the horse weren't won a group three uh you know back in 2019 which would typically on most days <laughs> uh beat this kind of field or, or be yeah. right right competitive but it was in france and and you know there's always the the softness in the ground and it may be too firm for that horse that that's my only thing with delaware that i don't like because ever since uh he's came to the uh, United States, he struggled. And I think it's the ground. I mean, his last race, he, he ran well, but it was, it was on the softer side. It was wet. There was some give in it and he ran pretty good and just missed. I mean, he, he was right there. Um, unless we get like a, a monsoon or something on uh, Friday night into, into Saturday morning. I, I, I just don't think this horse likes the, the firm ground. I have them stacked uh, four, eight, six, two here at, at Gulfstream in the tenth in the Fort Lauderdale, and I'm if you're playing as far as how who I'll use in like my pick fours, pick fives is on the win end, and if you're playing Exactus Tri Supers, I'm fine with throwing in some of those other speed horses underneath because sure they could they could be involved early and then hang around. I just 
I don't think they're going to get the type of trips they need to win this race. Uh, any of them with the presence of each other. And now keep in mind, if if we're here on Saturday and and some out of like in particular out of those three, like some like it hot brown and the two to the outside factor this holiday. If one of those horses or two of those horses comes out, or even a horse like a, a Doswell comes out, you know, keep an eye on the the speed. If, if if some of them come out of this race, then maybe that changes it a little bit. But as this field sits, Barry. I'm looking much more for the horses that I think are coming from at, at least to the middle to the back of the pack. Yeah, nobody's going to have it easy up front, hopefully. <laughs> if yeah. they do, then, you know, we'll have to reevaluate what we're doing because, yeah. you know, it, 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 you know, and it happens. I mean, you see it all the time where, you know, on paper, everybody looks fast and nobody goes fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you always have that in the back of your mind. I mean, as far as the percentage goes, I think that's probably about a 15% chance that happens. So I'm not looking for that to happen. But I tell you what, um, you know, Channel Cat <clears throat> really fires every time. He just mm-hmm. doesn't win a lot. We, and know? we just haven't seen him in a while. And that's right. what ends up happening. New changes barn, haven't seen him. He's kind of a horse who's been around sort of at this level for a while. So he's not like a new face. He's not exciting for a lot of people, right? So he might even get forgot. You, you sort of get forgotten about. Just like yes, you said, absolutely. he's a little under the right the radar. People are like, oh, I've seen him. Oh, I've played him before. He's always sort of in the mix. But and eh, you know, and he he's one who's Pretty versatile like he doesn't even have to be Way out of it he's actually shown the ability To have speed he won't be Showing speed in a race like this because there's So much other speed but it's just nice To know that he's got a little bit Of, of tactical like positional Speed in him Yeah yeah he's he, he he can be Kind of where you want I mean he's won on the lead Before mm-hmm. I, I think he got that lead By accident yeah um, when he beat Arklo um, Back at Saratoga um, But I mean, he, he stacks up with the best of them here. If he fires off the bench, he, he might be tough late. Um, I, I can't discount him. I mean, you know, ideally it, it'd be a nice <laughs> spooky channel, channel cat exacta. I'm, I'm good with that. But, I'm, you know, um, definitely using both of those in exotics for sure. That'd be the, the perfect channel. Yeah, multis. Or yeah. uh, for Barry. Man, this was a, a lot of fun. Again, thank you. I always enjoy having you on. That's what G said, uh, and I always ask you for uh, a few minutes, and and we uh, went over a, a half hour here having fun talking through the races. So, Barry, let all the folks out there know where we can follow you. You're you're a great follow on social media. I love it because you don't take any BS. You know, if someone uh, <laughs> if someone's out there spouting some BS, you're gonna let them know, which uh, I love about you, and uh, and we always have good laughs about it out there. Where can we follow you? At Urban Handicapper, U R B N Handicapper. I'm on there all day, every day. <laughs> and uh, you're a, a ton of fun to follow, and you're a big sports fan, a big racing fan, and uh, just a, a good, a good all around guy. Appreciate you always uh, taking a few minutes out of your day to come hang out with us on That's What G Said. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I love it. That is Barry Spears. You've uh, heard where to follow him on social media. Do not go anywhere, folks. We will be back with much more. Nice job from Barry helping us out with Gulfstream Saturday. So a little little quick recap for me. In the fourth race, I'm going with the number six, Dream Marie, at around 7-2. to two, But I do think Latruska and Sally's Curlin are two. Real, real logical. Latruska is going to be tough to run down. Sally's Curlin will come running, wondering and just kind of hoping that if she's around 7-2, Dream Marie just falls right into the perfect trip. Sixth race, Aunt Nadine sitting close from the outside at around 3-1. to one, I'll make a win wager. I'll use along with the three, Golden Amy. 
in the eighth race. I thought the six was a little interesting at around five to one. Maybe a horse to throw into some of your exotics. Use along with the five lady lawyer and the four tuned. So uh, maybe some horses to throw in if you're playing any kind of late exotics there in the eighth race. In the ninth race, for me, it's Tatwige at around five to two. Uh, Tatwige will be the horse that I play to win at that price and will probably be a big key to some of the exotics for me. I just don't want to take lower, and I, I kind of agree with Barry, and then I think there's a there's a big chance that that horse gets a lot of money. In the 10th race, breaking the rules, the 4, Largent, the 6, Spooky Channel, the 8, the 2, Delaware, are the horses I'll be using in race number 10 in some of those exotics. Best of luck Saturday. We've got those plays for you at Tampa and at Gulfstream. Good luck in your stable duel contest. And I know you're a horse racing fan. With the holiday season coming up, right now is the perfect time to head to OldSmokeClothing.com. You've got horse racing t-shirts, hats, zip-ups, quality clothing, hoodies, tank tops, long sleeve shirts. With the promo code GINO, you get free shipping on your order. You can do a custom design with whatever you want. You can check out some of the special collections they have for you on the website. The Kentucky Derby Collection. The Seabiscuit Collection. What about the Old Smoke Clubhouse? It is an exclusive membership for the passionate fans of horse racing where you get quarterly packages delivered to your doorstep filled with apparel, items, and experiences. They come four times a year. The Eclipse comes in January. The Derby comes in April. The Spa comes in July. The Royal ships in October. And each package will include a t-shirt only available to members, custom horse racing themed gift, package fillers. You also get 20% off all your orders at OldSmokeClothing.com. You get access to the online forum, custom headgear made exclusively for members, Great, great perks there with the Old Smoke Clubhouse. And remember to use your promo code G-I-N-O. Gets you free shipping on your order. Tis the law, Midnight Bisu, Authentic, She Dares the Devil. They've got shirts, hats that represent all of your favorite horses. Check them out, OldSmokeClothing.com. This is a great gift for a mom, a dad, a brother, sister, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, anyone that you know that loves the sport of horse racing oldsmokeclothing.com will give them something that they can represent that passion and show the horse racing fan in them and you get the free shipping with the promo code G-I-N-O let's continue moving along on this party as we now head to the entertainment world of that's what G said and we have a really fun conversation with Matt Velasco Another friend of mine from high school, Matt, went to LaSalle High School with me. He was a year above me, and he is a big Star Wars fan. He knows everything going on in the Expanded Universe. So we recap Season 2, Episode 6 of The Mandalorian. Spoiler alert, we do talk about everything that happens in the episode, everything and how it relates to the Star Wars Universe. And keep in mind, our conversation came out... Uh, We recorded it about two hours before all of the big news came out on Disney and all of the new releases. So you actually do hear us talk a little bit about, is there going to be an Ahsoka Tano spinoff? And what's going to happen with Obi-Wan? And we've actually now heard since then that some of those shows are already in the works. So uh, if you hear us talking about a few what-ifs are there going to be, doesn't really uh, do a whole lot to the recap, but just keep in mind, don't don't say, hey, this don't those guys don't know what they're talking about. We just recap we just recapped it a little before that information even came out. So 
Get ready for about 45 minutes or so talking everything Star Wars with Matt Velasco. Big thanks to Matt for joining me. Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 6, The Tragedy and the wave of LaSalle High School Star Wars experts who were in the, the drama uh, drama department and musicals, pirates dance rolls on as Matt Velasco joins me. Matt, it's been a while, buddy, but uh, how you doing? Thanks for coming on with me. Thanks so much. I'm honored to be on the show. You're right. We are we're going through the like back catalog of of LaSalle alumni, but yeah, um, it's pretty awesome. We can pull on those those networks and talk about things we love. We oh I know I've been very very lucky and uh, Matt we talked last week with Peter Brady and Matt and I and Peter were all together in the Pirates of Penzance uh, I think when I was a junior and Matt was a senior I think in high school and we had an absolute blast uh, we we got to just be pirates and I, I can still wake up sometimes either tarantarawing or singing you know the Pirate King they are still stuck in my head years later Matt some lyrics never leave us. No, no. So uh, today our focus is going to be on Star Wars Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 6, The Tragedy. And Matt, as someone who is a big Star Wars fan and has, you know, a grasp on everything in the expanded universe, how do you feel overall that this show has done through almost two full seasons now? We have two episodes left in in Season 2. John Favreau and Dave Filoni have basically been at the helm here. What overall have been your thoughts on this show? Yeah, I mean, let me, so I think when they announced the show, um, I wouldn't say I was a naysayer, but I wasn't super excited about it. And part of it was because it felt that it was going to, to cater to this aspect of fandom that just loves the cool stuff Mm -hmm. in Star Wars. So the Mandalorian was clearly meant in a sense in marketing And we'll get to that because, spoiler alert, Bubba Fett returns in this episode. But I've always been attracted more to the kind of mythical grandeur of Star Wars. And so I was kind of a a little bit of arm's length with this idea of focusing on a Mandalorian. That said, I mean, within the first episode last season, I, I was entirely hooked. And what I think this show does incredibly is all the filmmakers and showrunners since Disney bought Star Wars have been trying, have been playing in this Star Wars alchemy to kind of recreate the magic or Mm -hmm. what made episode four or A New Hope magical. And The Mandalorian, and I, I love the, and I really like the sequels, but The Mandalorian is the closest to kind of recapturing a sense of newness out of elements that aren't really new. I mean, you know, it's the gunslinger, the samurai, uh, monster uh, of the week, spaghetti western. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's all the like this genre mashup, which the original Star Wars or all of Star Wars really is, but it makes it feel new and it makes it feel weird. So whereas I was worried the the show was going to be really sharp and cool and polished. It's so lived in and cruddy and weird. There's just certain images and plot uh, points that have occurred in these two seasons. If you think back to the first season where uh, the Mandalorian has to recover the egg of this beast, uh, 
you barter with the Jawas, yeah. and the Jawas just have are, are so ecstatic over possessing this rare egg. There's almost just a sense of culture and politics and and economy in every world he visits, and you they don't need to tell the audience exactly why the Jawas love that egg, but it's so clear that it is part of their you know, part of their culture, part of their ceremony or whatnot. And so the show has, I can't quite, I can't point exactly to what it is. It's a way of making it feel, you know, getting back to that lived in weird quality of Star Wars, because I wasn't alive in 1977, but Star Wars was unlike anything that people had seen. And yet, if you dissect it, it's like everything, right? It's like John Ford movies. It's like Kurosawa movies. Um, you know, arguably there's no original idea that Lucas has except the most original idea, which is Star Wars. And that kind of paradox is what makes The Mandalorian just a real treat. So what's been fascinating, too, about um, it, it, there was sort of a template, like you were saying, uh, it was like, OK, each week he has monster of the week kind of thing where he's going to go to a new planet with the child who we didn't know who it's named Grogu up until last week and they're going to have to help someone and then they're going to get some information and and take one small step along the way and in the last 3 4 episodes we have not had small steps Matt we've gone like very very quickly and really started to expedite this thing so much so that in this episode I mean we go I was totally expecting before the start of this episode Or at the very beginning He's going to have another detour From when he's with Ahsoka to now There's right. like, there's no way he's going to show up Immediately and be right on Tython And and that was, I mean We get the little father-son thing with him in the <laughs> ship And then boom, he's right there And in this episode we'll, And we'll get into it in just a second The full recap in order But, I mean, we've seen in the last You know, four episodes now Some Unbelievable names In the expanded universe In the lure of Star Wars And the one that that a lot of this episode is about In particular with Boba Fett I mean this, he got to be The Boba Fett that so many people Had been waiting for for 40 years And so many people had I mean I I can remember in the movie Can't Hardly Wait When they're like joking (laughs) about who gets to be Boba Fett When they're like He was like a cult classic figure and But we never got to really see him Look like a badass in anything live action And that was uh, not the case In this episode Matt Yeah I mean I was totally with you I thought we were in, in, in store for a detour uh, Ahsoka last week Could have capped off a season yep. Bubba Fett this week could have capped off a season And we got it back to back Bubba Fett Right I, I tried to explain exactly what you're saying To my partner who's not a Star Wars fan but the Bubba Fett mythos, and I think we could talk about this. There's what is on text, right? What is on the screen or what's in the television shows. And there's what's existed in the minds of fans since Bubba Fett debut, debuted in the Star Wars holiday special before the Empire Strikes Back. And he, the myth has far exceeded the reality until last week, I yeah. think. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And now we're starting to really see one thing that... Like Favreau, Filoni, they are going to pull from everywhere. They're pulling from comics, video games. Um, we talked about all the the animation and and, and stuff uh, shows on Disney Plus. Like they're making everything sort of into canon now. Right. I think what's cool, 
um, is that with the the purchase of Lucasfilm by Disney, they essentially turned the expanded universe into legends. And a lot of fans, and I wasn't too precious with, with all the comp existing comics and books, but a lot of fans were devastated. These were the stories they had lived with for years, decades, etc. But what Filoni and Favreau are doing are sneaking in the expanded universe through the back door. Grand Admiral Thrawn, uh, Bubba Fett surviving the Sarlacc pit, uh, a number of other small references here and there uh, that in a way kind of reanimate this connection between the core canon text and all that expanded universe that still exists for people to read and enjoy. Okay, let's get into uh, the the start of episode six, the tragedy that always opens your eyes too right away. I, the, the, the name uh, of the episode, the tragedy. I almost, I almost wish it wasn't called that because I yeah. knew some, I I knew our our little friend Grogu was was in for some trouble, uh, but it does set the tone for sure. And right away they're headed to Tython. Which is almost earth looking You know uh, w- when you see them, them Coming into it and Grogu's playing with the little Ball sphere mm-hmm. and Mando uh, Keeps saying his name Grogu and the child keeps kind of Laughing and cooing a little bit it's a great Little father son moment Yeah, This whole part until they arrive uh, Right above uh, Tython Mando's kind of doing some Of his own training it, it really here Where he's getting Grogu to use the force To take the ball from him and then Mando exclaims, Dank Ferrick. So is that sort of like an F yeah? Yeah, Dank Ferrick is kind of this like phrase of exclamation they've used in a number of episodes, like damn, like hot damn kind of. I mean, that's how I, I kind of take it. There's no translation that I know of. But yeah, he's he's impressed. And um in a kind of the sad moment, the uh the baby baby Yoda, I'm still in that habit. Yeah, yeah. Grogu oh, kind yeah. of re- recoils and thinks he's done something wrong. Yeah. Um, which is interesting how he kind of hangs on the emotions, right? And reads the emotions of someone who's wearing a mask. Right. And uh <laughs> and and then you like right after Din Mando has the that little moment where he almost sound you he's like you can almost hear him tearing up, you know, mm-hmm. like you can't see it like you're saying the emotions. Behind the mask, it's like a pre-goodbye here Where he says, you know, you're really special Little guy, yeah. and uh, he says, you know I, I can't really do- train you And uh, he tells him where they're going And he says, you want, don't you want to learn more about the Jedi And the, and the Force And um, then they are above Instantly, boom, I mean, they're yeah. right there They're above Tython, Mando sees The uh, the rock henge, I think is what uh, At one point in the episode At the top of the hill, he can't Land the Razor Crest there so he's kind of flying around looking where to land They end up landing a little bit lower And they walk up and then boom I mean we're our minutes in there and they are right there On the seeing stone Yep and I think so they're, They place If I remember correctly they place Grogu uh, on the seeing stone mm-hmm. uh, The fo- force power Is activated so to speak The beacon lights up And then very shortly after we see Slave 1 fly yep. by So Slave 1 is originally Jango Fett's ship uh, eventually finds its way back to his son, Bubba Fett. And Bubba Fett arrives on the scene right, wearing a cloak, looks a bit different than we're used to seeing him. And he's, he kind of declares he's been tracking uh, Mando. And he's and, after the armor. And the right before Mando runs down to meet up with uh, to whoever is flying in Slave 1. He doesn't realize at this point it's Boba. Right. He, at one point, attempts to go get uh, Baby Yoda, Grogu, right. 
when he's activated the shield and when he runs there he gets thrown back as mm-hmm. um as Grogu is locked into his meditation trance he is you know interacting with the force he's what they've been saying reaching out maybe to the jedi out there we don't really know they don't really say but he's you know he's meditating and he is not uh he has this force field all around him then mando runs down and we get this boba that is so fascinating here because like you said there's so much lure and like mysticism around boba in particular because he's not he doesn't do a whole ton in live action stuff. I mean, honestly, it's a lot of in comics and written stuff in like uh, other things that have now become canon. And we get this version of him here who not only do we see how badass he is throughout the, the episode with fighting, but he's actually very moral. And it seems mm-hmm. like he's become changed after being saved. Yeah, I think that's actually something, you know, interesting about this. I think what and a casual audience member might forget is that Boba Fett was in the employ of the Empire, right? Working yep. alongside Darth Vader and Jabba the Hutt, right? Uh, uh, gangsters, warlords, etc. Right? He seems to be guided by a moral code. Absolutely, in this episode, he he's almost embodies now this solemn warrior. I mean, he's quite literally died and come back from the dead. Yeah. So, um, there is, it's quite a gap from the last time we see him in the canon timeline, which is on this uh, Jabba sail barge, and he absolutely goes out like a chump. I mean, yeah. there's nothing very cool about Bob. But in, in episode, he, it's almost a comedy bit. It's a joke. How, yeah. It's, it's a joke. It is. Um, and so, you know, in in the kind of in our timeline and on earth right that happened before the prequels when george lucas then brought back bubba fett and gave him this um somewhat sentimental uh tragic origin story so even right even under pre-disney lucasfilm there was already a shift away from bubba the warrior to to kind of exploring bubba fett as a character with a sort of arc Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's he's yeah. got this like uh like legacy is important to him now. You know, you oh, yeah. he repeatedly mentions Django and his father, and like there were points throughout his trajectory when he was trying to make his name as a bounty hunter, it, where that wasn't at all the case. You know, he didn't oh, yeah. care about legacy and anything like that. So it's yeah, it's a pretty fascinating arc for for someone like him, and it's definitely something that they've teased. Like, what's great about these last couple episodes now too is it it asks so many questions in that. Okay, Bo-Katan, is she coming back here again? Or is she going to have her own spinoff? Ahsoka Tano, or is she yeah. coming back here? Or are they just setting her up for her own spinoff? And the same thing with Boba. Now we imagine by what happens at the end of the episode, he's going to be around for a while. But is his, you know, like big, are the big things for Boba going to be more in this or in his own, you know, spinoff right. that happens afterwards? That's what's so cool about all this too, is that there's just... With this universe and with Disney Plus and with Filoni and Favreau, and we know how good and how, uh, I guess, respectful and how smart they are about all this stuff. It's like it just opens all of these doors. And and they right away, Matt, they hit on um, the heartstrings with a couple of lines that, uh, that, that Boba says after he says he's been tracking you. I've been tracking yeah. you, Mandalorian. And as soon as he speaks, it kind of gives you goosebumps. You know, mm-hmm. you kind of hear that voice. It's like, oh wow, that's that's cool. And he said, uh, you know, I'm I'm not after you. I'm at. Uh, he wants the armor that that Din got from Cobb Vanth. And and Boba responds, I'm just a simple man making my way through the galaxy, 
like my father before, before me, me, which is yes. a cool combination of two really important lines, right? Yes. So Jango Fett in episode two, Attack of the Clones, when he's being interrogated by Obi-Wan says, I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe, right? He's, he's, he's holding his cards close to his chest. Mm-hmm. In Return of the Jedi, Luke at the pivotal moment in his arc where he wrecks the dark side or, or the, the possibility of revenge throws away the lightsaber and rejects the empire and sa- emperor and says, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. And so that Filoni does this all the time in the Clone Wars. And I think he's also done it here in the Mandalorian. He, he echoes these lines from within the canon, from within the mythology. And he does it here in service of this theme of, I think what's really, I mean, the heart of this juxtaposition of Mando and Bubba for me is this father-son dynamic. Yeah. So it's it's Bubba re- recalling or wanting to honor the legacy of his father. And then him also, I would argue, recognizing that Mando is like his father was with baby Yoda, right? He has this yeah. foundling. And so there's this kind of inner, there's, it's understated and Arguably, it's it's subtext that those who are not as well versed with the universe might just see it as he lives by a code and he's going to help the Mandalorian, uh, Din Djarin. But I think it's more than that. I think he sees some affinity with the Mandalorian and his connection to Grogu in the same way that his father was a foundling and then his father had a, well, did not have a child. He had a, a clone made for him, which was uh, Bubba Fett. So there's really cool kind of father-son dynamics running through all of Star Wars, of course, and this episode particularly. Uh, so Boba tells Din that, you know, I have a sharpshooter. I, I just want the armor. Man, and and Din refuses. He, you know, he says it's against the code to just give it to you. He says it's my armor. So I actually have a sharpshooter on. I have a sharpshooter right now. And if if I fall to the ground, they will shoot. And he says, you know, Mando says I'm wearing Beskar. They're not going to get me. So they're not. They're not. They're not going to be shooting you. They're they're, they're pointing yeah. to your little friend. So um, all and he realizes it's Fennec. From mm-hmm. earlier on in season one Who he thought was left for dead Mando instantly can recognize the voice And he knows it's Fennec And so the, we get The voice of reason, Boba Fett here Right, <laughs> right, like, right Everybody, let's just put the weapons down and talk It's just great, you know <laughs> Yeah, it's um, You know, it's it's a great character Moment for, for Boba Fett For kind of defusing the situation It's, you know, getting into a Crucial moment in the which would so, put down um, your jetpack too. He specifically I, says it. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, we, you know, it's a, it's a story. They've got to create uh, tension and suspense. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a really important beat, right? He does yep. not have his jetpack, and it's shortly after. I think they make this kind of tacit agreement of the armor in exchange for the child, and then. Just moments after stormtroopers arrive and the game changes. Yeah, we see an Imperial troop transport ship show up as these three are getting ready to sort of make an agreement. As Boba says, "Hey, if you give me that armor, I we will help you protect the child. The bounty on the child has gone up. Everybody's looking for this thing, and they're trying to kill you. We will save you. We'll we'll protect you. We'll make sure you two are safe as long as you give me this armor." And Fennec. Has now, um, is now been vowed to help Boba 
to serve Boba because Boba saved her life and she's got like a robotic stomach. She's got a little Vader stuff going on here. She pulls up and she she shows us. And right as they are uh there one thing I had to mention, the way and I, I've read this in a couple other places that are doing reviews, the way that uh Boba says Tatooine yeah. is like somebody was like, that's how it's supposed to be said. I don't know right. who everybody else that said it was wrong, but it seems like he's just so great about how everything and uh li- little details are really good. You mentioned one that there was a little off there with the with the jetpack, which is gonna come back uh in, in just a moment. So as Mando was still a little bit reluctant about giving him the armor, here comes the Imperial Troop transport. And Grogu is still up on the stone He's still mm-hmm. up in that bubble of force energy So Mando has to run up to try to go get him But he cannot penetrate the shield again This is time number two He gets thrown back feet He lands, he's basically knocked out And right. so down on the bottom of uh, Sort of the bottom of the hill there We've got Fennec We've got Boba And then it is like a video game the Imperial troop ship uh, opens up and they just come running out and you just see these two. I mean, we get about a, you know, five to seven minute run here of Fennec in these amazing action scenes before we get to Boba, just Boba without the armor and then Boba after with the armor. I mean, this action stuff, uh, this is uh, Robert Rodriguez, I believe directing, who's a really good action director. And he's, he's got some fun, like, you know, Comedy sort of action stuff out there too um, There there were some really cool Stuff here in, in the you know in this Five six minute spurt yeah I think I mean what stands out To me what really made me kind of jump In my seat was the way That Bubba ab- absolutely Demolishes stormtroopers with His staff which I think might be a gaffy stick Which is a yeah I think so uh, right? a, a Tuscan uh, uh, Raider uh, weapon uh, yeah. And he's been on Tatooine as, as we established um, just really these kind of low angle shots, um, uh, a lot of lens flares, just destroying, absolutely destroying the stormtroopers, which is really fulfilling. I, I think I, I wrote a note in my show notes, the, the dreams of fanboys around the galaxy <laughs> yep. just climax. Yep. Just like, screaming out right here, right? Like, yeah. yes! Yeah. <laughs> this was the moment. I mean, he is going one-on-one with the gaffy stick and he... He goes through this sequence where he he takes out like six in a row in all slightly different ways, mm-hmm. and then when he turns around, he pops one in the helmet, and I think they're the, called plastoids. Is that right? When they just bla- like they just shatter. Uh, it's like yeah. never seen yeah a, a, like that kind of that the helmet just shatter off a stormtrooper yeah. like that. Yeah, that that's incredible, and I mean this is all before. He even gets his armor, as you said, and that's where uh, that really is where the the fanboy dream <laughs> climaxes. I should say. I mean, he's using every weapon in his arsenal. Uh, eventually, um, I may be getting ahead of myself, though. No, so, he sees the armor. Yeah, no, right there. It's yeah. He sees the armor in the razor crest, and right. and then he goes. To, he, we we can assume that he's going to get it because we're back right. to Fennec for a few minutes. Who's you know she is just fighting him off. Um, then a second wave of Imperial uh, troop transport ship shows up and they roll in again. Um, and Mando is sort of just coming to life after being knocked out. He's been kind of out for a few minutes. The The shield is still around Grogu, who is still meditating using the force. And it didn't work the first time. Mando's trying it one more time. He's going back for a third. He, he's, he's like trying to push his way and walk slowly through it. It feels like he gets a little bit closer to breaking it this time. But then again, he gets... 
kind of shot back a third time and he says, "Okay, kid, I'm going to go uh, I'm going to go protect you." And uh, and he runs down and I think as soon as he runs down, the energy shield is dropped and as we've seen in many times throughout Star Wars, using the Force takes a lot out of you, especially someone who isn't trained or well-versed as uh, Grogu at this moment. So he goes from having this big energy shield that's like launching Din back to he's just plopped out asleep, like absolutely right. exhausted. Yeah, tragic as we will yeah. as we will yeah. see. So he's 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 just fair game sitting up there on the on the stone for anyone. And we have the all the questions about did he reach out to anyone? Who did he reach out right. to? Is it somebody good? Is it somebody bad? What Jedi's are even out there? Uh, there was even questions recently sort of about where um some of the uh like where everything is on the timeline even right. and Filoni was having some fun like you, you could tell he's just playing you know having a good time like messing around with people saying maybe probably it could be with certain things here and there um but as far as like somebody i think we can probably safely assume that he he made a connection to someone right Matt right i i mean i think that's the big um that's the so you think about this right from like a showrunner's perspective They've debuted Ahsoka in episode five, Boba Fett in episode six. We we have a sense of where episode seven's going, and we'll get to that. Episode eight is going to be uh, balls to the wall action. Yeah, and that's the question, right? Who is going to respond to the call, that Jedi call? I really think. I mean, there's just no way they put that out there. That's not going to pay off in some way, right? Good or bad for yeah. for our heroes. Um. The main Jedi on the scene right now, six years after Return of Skywalker. And mm-hmm. I almost, I get chills even saying it. I don't even, I almost can't believe they would do it. But uh, everything's on the table on this show. So I, you know, I don't think Ezra uh, Bridger, who is one of the main characters in Star Wars Rebels, the I don't think he's around at this time. As you said, there's some some ambiguities in the timeline where he could be. Um, Yo, you know, Yoda's, Yoda's gone. Um, you know, when we left Return of the Jedi, we're left to think that Luke is the only living Jedi. We know that's not exactly the truth because Ahsoka's alive. Maybe Ahsoka responds to this call. But I think Luke is the, the most logical candidate outside of a new character being introduced. Yeah, which which is always something they could do, right? A new they could bring someone new in and 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 that's fine, but it, it's feeling like it's going to be someone big, you know. Right. Just the way they've set it up and the way they've been teasing it, it, it it's feeling like it's going to be someone. So, man, um right as Fennec looks like she's going to be outnumbered with this next wave of the stormtroopers, here comes Mando to help her. He's using some of his missiles. He's just, you know, badass Mando here helping her out. And he saves her. And But then they're sort of cornered. And we get the moment where Boba is back in his armor. And this was the one that, yeah, 40 years of people waiting to see this version of Boba Fett that they never got to see. That they always imagined the most badass bounty hunter in the entire galaxy. He was using everything that... People knew he had. I mean, he had some what knee cannons. Right. Is that what those were? Yeah. Like right. I mean, uh, just give us yeah, give us a, a minute or two on like your thoughts here when Boba starts to go crazy. Um, right. It was that that exactly what I kind of said at the start of this episode. It was what 
fans always wanted it. And I was never a crate, like a Bubba Fett head. Like, um, you know, and part of me, I guess this is sacrilegious to say, like part of me was fine with him meeting his end at the Sarlacc uh, mm. pit or the pit of Carcoon. But, uh, you know, all that, those kind of nitpicks I might have with Disney's tendency to bring people back from the dead just washed away in that scene yeah. to see him um, just a total, a total badass. And it was, it was awesome. And I think, you know, the, the emotional stakes that are now invested in that armor with his connection with his father make it a little more than just, um, you know, action porn. To yes. One no, sense. no, you're like, right. Uh, there's this fulfillment, right? He's been after this armor, you know, for, for, I guess, well, he had it six years ago when he was on Jabba's ship, but you know, this is kind of a, a, a fulfillment, a goal. And I, I imagine the spinoff is going to take us back in time with Boba Fett, but that's a, that's an aside. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it was incredible. Um, and I'm really excited to see how they how Bubba Fett is treated as a character going forward, right? Is he going to, he's definitely going to get a spinoff. I put, I mm -hmm. put a lot of money down on that. Um, but in the show, right, is he going to just be the muscle or is there going to be some other conflict or kind of tension with him? Because, and I've been kind of holding on to this, we have to remember his father was killed by Mace Windu, beheaded by a Jedi in yeah. the Clone Wars. He he is thrown into the pit of Carcoon on a Jedi-led operation by Luke Skywalker. And so while he is a simple man making his way in the universe, there's this plot line in the show that is bringing us closer to the Jedi. And I part of me wonders if Bubba's going to push against that or if he's going to have any personal vendetta that comes in the way. May, I could be totally misreading it, but there's reasons why Bubba would not want to be uh, helping rescue a Jedi youngling, so to speak. So we get the stormtroopers who just turn and run away <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. They're just, they're done with this. They head back to the ship. And then as they're flying away, Boba just, boom, nails them with one shot, one missile. It hits both of them. They both are blown up. Amanda leans over and says, uh, "Nice shot." And we get a little comedy where Boba said, "I was shooting for the other right. one," you know. And what what a trio we've got here with the uh, with this three. So as as they're like somewhat celebrating for a second, all of a Not sudden, very long, right? <laughs> one second, we get a shot from from above. Uh, it was an Imperial cruiser that just blows up the Razor Crest, and boom! I mean, like the what Mandal what what in a two seasons has been basically like oh, the Mandalorian's home is yep. gone. Yeah. And then right after that, we get the dark troopers that were teased a couple chapters ago. Yeah. Are um And this is a video down. game thing, right? <laughs> what, this the dark troopers, I can't remember they they this is one of those things that's entering canon through the back door. Um, but I can't remember where the the origin is it may be very well be a video game they brought stuff back from uh star wars role-playing games from the 80s and 90s um so yeah everything's on the table so the dark troopers is kind of a um a re-entry into the storyline right they're not wholly a creation of the show um and they just plummet straight for uh our friend grogu 
As Mando tries to run up to save uh, to save Grogu, Mando and Fennec are running. Boba heads back to his has uh, his ship Slave One, and Mando does not make it in time. So as the Dark Troopers take Grogu back up to the Imperial cruiser, Boba is following them. He's got them locked, carrying. Grogu and he can mm-hmm. shoot them down at any Moment but Mando tells him no he doesn't Want anything to happen to the child so Now uh, the dark troopers have Taken Grogu back up into the imperial Cruiser we see Boba come Back down and the Mandalorian and Boba and Fennec are looking at the remains of The razor crest and before They do actually Boba has a, a pretty kind of Chilling line where he uh, He notices the imperial cruiser And he says they're back the empire right. They're back he even says this isn't a spice dream I can see the Imperial <laughs> Cruiser with my own eyes Yeah I mean we've all known The Empire was back since the start yeah. of the show In a way <laughs> and we know where it's headed With with the First Order in you know Decades later um, But it, it is interesting Because for, for me it kind of gets back To that mindset of where Bubba is That he's he's been on Tatooine The Empire was clearly routed Out of Tatooine I think in the first season We see all the Stormtrooper helmets On Spikes um, so it is kind of a, a come to Jesus moment for, for Bubba. Um, I also think Fennec Shand may have, she was a mercenary. I think she may have worked for the empire also, right? And Bubba Fett also worked for the empire, but this kind of establishes, I suppose, some distance between the new bad guys and Bubba Fett, even though he was, you know, tangled up with the empire, um, not too long ago in the timeline. And Boba actually has a moment where he shows Din um, through the the armor that this was his armor. He kind of shows him some of his past, and they're able to say uh, to say that Jango was a foundling that fought right. uh, in the Mandalorian Civil War. So now I think Mando is feeling a little different towards Boba. Obviously, um, they they have ties now, right. and so we have uh, Boba who says to Mando, "Hey, you know I've." I got the armor back. A deal is a deal. Or in debt to you until we get the the child back safely to you. So now we're going to help you go get him. So we see on Slave One, and the only f- remains in the Razor Crest on, on on the ground are the little ball oh. sphere that uh, Grogu used to would play with with him, and the Beskar sphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, something they've been kind of teasing. Ever since he got that, that we assume he's going to have some sort of a a uh, a battle with the saber, where he's going to need that thing. You do you do a lot with horse racing, right, Gino? Yep. yep. I mean, the odds. Give me the odds of a, a Beskar <laughs> dark saber, Beskar spear dark saber clash. Like it's not paying out. I One mean, to five. Yeah, yeah it's, yep. it's a given. Yep, it's pretty much a given. The show has established <laughs> that the Beskar spear can deflect a dark saber, dark saber, or sorry, any any saber, including a dark saber. So. Yeah, I mean that that's pr- pretty awesome. Um it's it is quite a, you know, it's going to be interesting without the Razor Crest, it's kind of become our our home base on the show. Um but I think so at this point, right? They're on they're on Slave 1 and they head back to Navarro. Yep. Um to kind of pivot toward next week, I think, or ra- rather the next episode. Um and he runs into kind of goes meets up with Cara Dune who's now officially a marshal of the New Republic and says he needs help to locate a prisoner. An ex-Imperial sharpshooter who we met last season, uh, played by uh, Bill Burr, whose name is uh, Miggs Mayfield. 
and we learn he's serving in the Carthen Chop Fields. I had to look up the spelling of that. I don't <laughs> think we've been introduced to that at any other point, but fields and prison, he must be working in some sort of kind of, uh, you know, labor camp prison yeah. or something of that nature. Yeah. And so um, Kara is, you know, she's gone straight now, so she's not sure. She's got to sort of follow the rules. But you can tell as soon as he lets her know the ch- uh, that Moff Gideon took the child, they, that the tone changes a little bit. And, and then we get the cut, um, Matt, to the very end, the final scene, which was really, really cool. And this is a throwback to, I mean, a lot of different things throughout Star Wars. So anytime we get the really cool walk down the ship, you know, uh, is awesome. But this is a throwback to is this what Darth with Leia in the prison, like when he has her as a prisoner, and just we see before we even see Grogu, we hear as Moff Gideon is walking, we hear screams coming at, from one of the rooms. And as soon as the door opens up, it's our little cute, adorable friend, Baby Yoda, the child Grogu, who is just. Tossing stormtroopers Darth Vader style into the wall All over He even uses the choke at one point mm-hmm. it, It's it's Totally plays for laughs But it's also really dark If you reflect on what's happening I mean, yeah. This is a kid who's kind of Totally afraid for his life That has been shown To tap into the force in times of, of Distress and fear and Ahsoka warned us, as many Jedi have before, that fear is this path to the dark side. And um, I, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see how much they play with the dark side. But I, I almost couldn't laugh at it because I was a little too aware of what he's actually yeah. doing. Right? He's mm-hmm. tapping in, uh, using the Force for harm. I mean, with reason, right? Yeah. Uh, he's scared. He doesn't quite understand. He just I, got taken from his father figure type, yeah. you know? And, yeah. It is. It's such a dark kind of contrast. So the the start of the episode is with uh, Mando playing with the ball, right? And then the way that Moff Gideon taunts him with the dark saber, these clear bookends, right? Of of one who's you know uh, uh, aspiring to be a father, and one who's kind of twisting this this child's emotions, right? And certainly putting him uh, in harm's way and such. Such so. It was kind of interesting how they bookended the episode with with this, you know, the the quote father figure and a dark father figure with uh, Baby Yoda. Yeah, and Moff is actually loving seeing Grogu using the Force in this manner. And oh, yeah. uh, he's as some of the other troopers come in to try to stop him, he says, "No, let let it go." He just lets him throw them all around and kill some of his men. We know we know Moff Gideon doesn't care about any of the people under him. It's all really about the cause. And he meant he says another key line, and it's something that in this episode and just knowing or in this this show and knowing how big of fans that Favreau and Filoni are, they very rarely say something or have a line that like that doesn't either have a throwback meaning or isn't going to be like referencing something that's going to happen down the line. And they then just like you said it when he's teasing him with the dark saber, he says something like, "You're not ready to play with such things that could put an eye out." Which makes me immediately think that some point Moff Gideon's getting an eye put out by that thing by uh, by uh, by Baby Yodes. I hope I hope that I'm right there, and you, that prediction you, won't be one to five. Maybe I can get like three to one on that. Yeah, one. yeah. You heard it. You heard it here first. I I didn't. I did not think of that. That's a um, 
you know, nothing is accidental on the, this show. It's so tightly plotted and, and, and written that um, that's a really good point. I mean, I think the biggest kind of question, there's so many questions moving forward. I think the biggest is who will answer the Jedi call. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think another question is, is Moff Gideon a long-term bad guy? Or are we going to, is he going to be defeated, right, in mm-hmm. two episodes? Are we going to, or will he live to die another day? Um I could imagine it both ways, right? I certainly didn't think we were going to be getting uh, Ahsoka and Bubba back to back. So if the show was to dispense with what is a pretty interesting bad guy in two episodes for something even more um, haunting, I wouldn't be surprised. I have a feeling, though, he would, he'll live for season three, but maybe with only one eye. We end with uh, the them them stunning... Baby Yoda putting him to sleep The poor child has been uh, Shot and he is in shackles now The tiniest little baby Shackles that you'll ever see And he's laying there And um, as this episode Ends I mean like you said For me what what made it What kind of opened my eyes was Wow okay they got to This planet Tython And started like in this process so quickly that I'm assuming these next couple episodes are just going to be loaded and packed with things because we didn't take very long to get here, which was sort of the template that we'd had before. And another thing that I'm asking, like, is Mando assembling some super team? Cause he could really go back. You know, we, we know he, he just enlisted the help of Cara Dune. He's going to look for Mayfield. Is he going to grab those other prisoners that were also with Mayfield that were, you know, helping him or that he, they may not be uh, very, very pleased with him. Mm-hmm. Grief, Cobb Vanth. We know Boba and Fennec now do Ahsoka and Bo show back up. Yeah. Like, is he going to have some super team? I am. I mean, there are a lot of questions and only two episodes in this season left, Matt. So like, give us right. some of your Things that you're thinking, big picture thoughts on the episode overall, and like how uh, how much did you like this one? Yeah, I mean, b- big picture. So it didn't it didn't quite. So interestingly, I wasn't once the words the tragedy showed up on the screen, I was like, okay, they're gonna get they're gonna get Grogu, yeah. and so that almost lessened the emotional impact. I mean, I was still devastated, um, but it kind of took away some of the the suspense for me. I wasn't as emotionally moved as I was with the Ahsoka. Grogu meetup just because of how uh, how much I love Ahsoka and the Clone Wars. But what really kind of struck me about this episode, the thing that kind of was a game changer for me, and it's a little it's a little detail, right? Is that reveal that Jango Fett was a foundling because we didn't know that before. I mean, for all we knew before, he was a Mandalorian imposter, but now he is directly tied to a Mandalorian heritage. I think that kind of. Sh- sets up some of the Boba uh, Mando dynamic going forward. I think that bringing in Bill Burr, right? I mean, for as Migs Mayfeld in the next episode, ostensibly is because he's this sharpshooter. But right now, right, this team needs some sense of humor. It needs some lightness, yes. right? We have three kind of solemn warriors. So yeah, we're definitely headed for a, we need a crew. We need to put together a crew, right? That kind of classic uh, um action-adventure heist trope. And our next episode, I believe, is written by uh, Rick Fukuyama, who directed the episode where Migs Mayfeld is put in prison last season, right? So just a quick thing that uh, listeners may not recall, that Migs Mayfeld was in season one. They go on this mission, uh, Mando with Migs and his crew, 
and Mando ultimately locks him up. So obviously there's going to be conflict with Mayfeld and, and Mando going forward. Um, I am going to suggest, maybe this is 20 to 1 odds, that there might be some conflict with Boba being pulled into anything involving the Jedi. I could be totally wrong. Okay, yeah. Um, I could be wrong, but you know, part of me is thinking like, I don't think we're going to go straight into badass action next week. I think there's going to be something, something yeah. of a detour. We didn't get a detour this week. We're right. going to have to have some we're sort getting of... a little detour in this next episode. That's kind of where my, my sense is, but um, I'm, all, I'm all in, right? I, um, I'm all in on this show. And, and on we'll, this season, yeah. well, fingers crossed for like a banger with Luke, maybe in uh, in episode eight uh, to to close out the season. And right. I would love uh, to have you and Peter come back after episode of the season, and we can do yeah. kind of an overall thought on season two, and then maybe look forward to season th- three, make some predictions, talk about everything that happened. I'll probably be done in a couple weeks with uh, the Clone Wars and some of the other shows, so I c- I'll have even a little more to add to the conversation, and uh, I mean, this was awesome, Matt. I asked you for like 20 to 30, you've given me uh, already 45, and uh, we I had such a blast talking with you, but I want to, I wanna, if, you, if you have a second, yeah. I know you work with like so many good causes and I see you all the time. You're like a really great humanitarian. You're always like um, pumping something good. Is there anything out there right now that you're working with or anything that you want to promote or, uh, you know, some of the listeners can, can look into? Oh, wow. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm I'm much of a humanitarian. I mean, my, my day job, if you will, uh, I'm an archeologist. So I I did get a kick out of that kind of Stonehenge (laughs) in this episode. Um, I, I work in Peru. Um, I'm actually writing a book right now on some of my research in archaeology in Peru. So I have a pretty kind of solitary life right now. I'm not getting out of the house like most people. Um, but, uh, you know, Mandalorian is really that treat uh, at the end nice. of every week. Uh, a little bit of distraction from the, uh, the kind of boredom of, of quarantine and the stress yeah. of, of writing. So... Um, I don't have much to promote yet. Okay, uh, but, but we'll, we'll keep your episode. So. Yeah, we'll keep we'll be talking with you throughout. Now, I think you and you and Peter are going to be uh, hopefully some of my uh, my Star Wars experts right. that when uh and and I mean now with Disney Plus and like we've we've teased all these other uh pro- possible um spinoff movies, spinoff shows. What's nice about a streaming service is they could do something like one movie. They could do a little mini series for any of these things. They could make something big and long like the Mandalorian, which has the opportunity to go, you know, years and years long. It's, it feels like with Favreau and Filoni at the helm and with the, the Disney backing, it's kind of unlimited right now was what to, what could happen. Yeah. I mean, there was this article that ran, I should have looked it up. It was probably around, the last Jedi or force awakens. And the kind of headline was, I will die before they finish making star Wars. And the point <laughs> was that, I mean, there's no end to this. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a purist. I'm, I have a real, real strong affinity for the saga episodes one through nine and the story they tell. And I think that's part of my hesitancy with Mandalorian initially was I don't, you know, I'm not so interested in, I didn't think I was interested in Adventure of the Week Star Wars. I clearly am. Um, <laughs> I, I'm i just excited, right, with, with Filoni involved and Favreau. They are really building a template uh, for the world and the kind of stories that can be told in this uh, sandbox. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're going to have Star Wars material uh, for years to come. 
They continue to serve uh, multiple masters While people who just have have tuned in to the Mandalorian for a couple years Or have, have just tuned in for episodes here and there They can be entertained But they can right. also like tickle the fancies of, of people like you Who have been fans for years And, and who have been wanting um, Just I guess like a little more I guess respect is the word almost For it, for <laughs> everything right Like respect for like I just feel like Filoni and Favreau really respect everything That they're doing all of the text And they understand that this is This world is a big deal to a lot of people It's becoming more of a big deal to me It's becoming a big deal to the folks on That's What G Said We love these recaps And Matt I couldn't have asked you for more here man This was so much fun And I'm going to touch base with you again Hopefully we can get you back here in a few weeks Yeah that'll be a lot of fun Thanks a lot Chino That is Matt Velasco Answered so many questions for us here On That's What G Said Don't go anywhere folks We will be right back with plenty more Great stuff from Matt And we are going to have a ton more to talk about uh, In the coming weeks, months, and years Hopefully Matt and Peter Who we were uh, lucky enough to have last week Will be able to join us in the coming weeks I think Darren Zocali is going to be joining me for the recap of next week's episode, and then I'd love to get everybody back at the end, all all three of them definitely, uh, for a, a little round table, talk about what went down in Season 2 and what we can look forward to, all the big news now with the, the new shows coming out. If you're a Star Wars fan, if you're a Disney fan, whew, a little overwhelming today with uh, so much happening. There's so much happening over at Sarah Candles, C-E-R-A Candles.com. We're talking about those all-natural soy wax candles, and they're so much different than the candles, the a lot of the leading candle brands that you see because they don't have that paraffin wax. They have the, the all-natural soy wax, which means they're healthier for you. No toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants, and because of that soy wax, they're actually going to burn longer and they're just safer and healthier for you. Over at Sarah Candles, you got seasonal scents. Right now, they've got the Christmas box, which is exactly what you're looking for if you're someone looking for a, a gift for someone out there. You get a couple different candles. It's wrapped up nicely in a box for you. It takes care of everything. It can ship right to where you need. When you use the promo code GINO, it'll get you 10% off your order Christmas morning. Maybe that's the, the scent you want to send to one of your friends. 25 different scents, seasonal scents, scents for any mood, three different sizes, great holiday gift. Hey, they they care about you over at Sarah Candles. They even give you instructions to make sure that you keep your candle clean and how you can get the perfect burn. SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A, Candles.com, that holiday candle box that I was talking about. It is just $20. You get the 5-ounce Christmas morning candle. You get the 5-ounce cranberry Christmas candle. And those candles will burn for you for about 20 to 30 hours on average. SarahCandles.com promo code G-I-N-O gets you 10% off your purchase. Let's close out with a couple more recaps of some things I've been watching recently that uh, really piqued my interest. First, we're going to talk a little bit about Shameless, one of my all-time favorite shows. We're in the final season of Shameless. Season 11 just debuted last week on Sunday, so spoiler alert, we will be talking about everything that happened in Season 11, Episode 1 of Shameless, the final season, and it does get a little, uh, at, at some times, uh, a little graphic, so even just having to recap 
some of the episode, you end up having to talk about it's a little more mature subject. So just a heads up if any of the, the little ones are listening around with you when we recap Shameless. We have to sort of talk about some of those subjects just to recap the show. We kick things off with Frank, who is he's voicing over the history of Chicago, and he's got one of these great Frank rants. He's taken credit for everything. The Gallaghers, they've had their hand in everything. Apparently, throughout all of history of uh, Chicago, the Black Sox scandal, it was a gambler that set it all up. Apparently, it was a Gallagher. Um, They were involved in Prohibition. They were the muscle. They, uh, he was part of the Democratic Convention riots. He said he was part of the Chicago 8. He just didn't get arrested with the other uh, Chicago 7 because he was at White Castle getting food for everyone. Frank is telling the history to a young man who is a college graduate student who is filming and he's wearing a mask so we can tell immediately they are this is a 2020 thing covid is is a story they're this is the world that they're living in with covid I'm always curious nowadays when we watch new shows and new movies how they're approaching it when they're set in this time in the current time are they playing like there's no COVID and there, because what do we as a fan want? Do we want to escape that reality, or is it something now that for a year we've all started to live with and become familiar with? Do you want to sort of turn on the TV and see people having to deal with some of the same things you are? I don't know. It's a good question. I guess it's just different for everyone. And so in uh, in Shameless, they're taking it as a this is the the COVID world. And so of course Frank. Is is you know gonna call it a hoax? Which we you, know, you could have just if I would have you know talked about this months ago before this came out, we all knew Frank was gonna be one of those uh, who says this is a this is nothing, right? So we get to catch up with everybody, all of our main characters here. Lip is exhausted. He and Tammy are with their baby, who is Freddie, who's teething. They have moved into their own place. They're both exhausted though. And Lip is is doing the errands. Tammy's worried about the money because of, of COVID, the pandemic. Her family has always had a lot of money. She's used to having money. That's obviously not the case here with Lip, who has been the opposite. He's always been able to just get by and just make it. Carl is getting ready to be a cop. And you know what? He's, he's pretty good at it in that he's not scared. And he genuinely does seem to care about people. We know Carl's not the, the smartest or the sharpest tool in the shed all the time. But if you kind of point him in the right direction, he'll he'll do what's right. It's just he's already coming under the tutelage of some uh, some shady cops here. Kevin V have expanded into the weed business. The bar is shut down and being opened up and shut down and back and forth like many businesses have experienced in the year 2020. So they're sort of operating operating illegally with a lot of their regular customers as like a speakeasy and they've got brownies, weed brownies, weed gummies. They've got their little 5-year-old girls rolling up joints. And I mean, okay, let's let's just stop here for a second too. The 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 stuff that Veronica's pouring into the brownies and it it just doesn't look good. I got to be honest here. I mean, I'm in a I'm out in California. I've seen I've seen some things this this does not look like some quality stuff. Got to got to be fair. Um, yet they're acting like it's really good, and it seems to be doing the job. So uh, 
they have expanded now into the uh, the ganj business. We see Ian and Mickey, they're having some uh, money issues and some marital issues. They didn't really talk about what they wanted from each other before they got married. Now Ian works, Mickey does nothing, he just spends their money. Bills are piling up, and as Ian continues to work harder, Mickey just wants to steal, sleep, drink, and apparently take baths. Hey, I'm not going to complain there. I'm, I'm someone who's got a bad back. I love to sit in a bath with a little Epsom salt, maybe a little bit of the, the bubbles. You know, it's soothing. Throw a, a little a little podcast on, maybe a little Kenny G. Who knows? Who knows? So, Debbie, remember, she was dating that 17-year-old last season. She's now a sex offender. Well, she was actually dating the, the 17-year-old and her mom, which uh, did not go over well with the family who press charges, and now Debbie is a registered sex offender. We see that the schools are shutting down, opening back up, as you know, families have dealt with all over the, the world this year. Debbie wants to be a Mrs. Fix-It. So she gets some decals for her truck that are titled, Debbie Does Everything. And she puts it on, and she just does not realize how bad this looks and what she might be inviting until they all have to to let her know, you know, this this might not be exactly the message you want to be sending. Frank continues on the the walking history lesson with a graduate student. He talks about how he hates the uh, the Prius crowd. He talks about the the Corona hoax, and he's the only one who actually responded to this kid's ad. And now Frank is gonna show him the best crack house. In Chicago, or at least where it used to be. Debbie, when she's going to pick up Franny, she has to stay 500 feet away from the school. So she has to stay behind a line that's marked 500 feet across the street. And everybody in the neighborhood knows now she's a registered sex offender. So it's costing Debbie business. Now, people who are hiring her are seeing that she's a sex offender. And actually on the website, when it says what she did, it says that she was involved with a 7-year-old girl, not a 17-year-old girl. So now everybody thinks she's just disgusting. They want nothing to do with her. Meanwhile, Ian is pissed because Mickey took all the wedding money, and now they have nothing for bills, and Mickey just doesn't seem to care. Lip is is the errand boy for Tammy, and this is great. We have a scene where she gives Lip the task that he has to do for the day. He has to go pick up paint. He he's going to um, bring her a coffee on her you know on her break, and he's got to get this nice specific expensive fancy coffee and this nice fancy paint. And so of course we know Lip. Lip is not going to be paying for overpriced coffee or for overpriced paint. He's smarter than that. He's going to try to figure a way around it. So. He he's it's he's funny. He actually has a moment with uh, with the, his son where he looks around and he says, uh, um, "You know, she's worried about money." And he says, uh, I- "I'm her bitch." Apparently, they had Corona too. They had the virus. It sounds like she said, that "I don't want to get it again." So it implied that her and Lip, or at least she, had the virus before because she continues to tell Lip to wear his mask. So we're gonna see a moment where. Lip is going to do these errands for her and he goes to get this cheap he gets the he gets an empty trashed cup from 
the place that she wants. He goes to the liquor store, gets a cheap $1 cup of coffee, pours it in, and then does the mix-ins and brings it to her. She can't tell the difference at work. So Lip always trying to pull a fast one over. He goes to the liquor uh, to the, the cheap you know, hardware store and he finds the paint that she wants. Instead, he finds a similar color, has it mixed up, and has the guy at the paint store slap the other label on it. So instead of paying 100 bucks, he ends up paying 30 Always thinking, Lip. Always thinking. Carl getting involved with these dirty cops. They're telling him that if he testifies for them, and if he kind of tells a, a fib or two for them, that he will become a cop. So they're they're already steering Carl. Carl is getting taken uh, advantage of by by some of the cops already. He's not even actually on the force, and they're already kind of trying to trying to twist him in in, in here. So he's not going to be dealing with the the best people. It, it seems like. Every place is being forced to close. That's why Kevin and V have the gym going on. Uh, Kevin's KevFit gym, which is right next to the bar where people use the kegs and all sorts of uh, bar equipment to work out. Um, it's They've got the secret system where people knock on the door in order to come in and, and buy marijuana and, and weed products from them. It's really funny, just like a speakeasy. And... The college student who is filming with Frank, they uh, they make their way to the alibi as Frank always does, and he's filming a project for neighborhoods and gentrification created by COVID. So Ian's now at work. He's complaining to his coworkers about his new uh, his new hubby. I'm funny, just a, a scene there where they're all saying, "I know this is something you're supposed to talk about before you get married." And Lip drops off that coffee. She can't tell Tammy can't tell the difference, and he. He loves from his little uh, little makeshift coffee. Carl ends up testifying against the sanitation people that he was working with. And this is exactly what the cops are looking for. Carl, because of his real life experience, is able to kind of spin things on the lawyers who are trying to make Carl out to be a bad guy. We uh, we see the, the lip pulling his, uh, his maneuver at the paint store, which is also really cool, where he gets it all mixed up and... Um, when, when Tammy comes home later, she's got no clue the difference between this and the uh, the sea foam that she really wanted. Tammy is uh, is just used to having a little bit more money. It's like some of the young kids who keep coming in to buy this weed stuff from Kevin V. Frank's in there trying to mooch. They're buying these gummies. They're um, again, it just it doesn't look good. It looks kind of swaggy. No, thank you for me. But it does seem to do the job. For Tommy and Kermit. Tommy the local. The big guy who's always in the bar. He's hating on weed. He says he thinks he's tougher as a drinker. Than uh, these people who smoke. And they convince him to take a brownie. And try a brownie. Kermit one and one first. So he's eating one. Then then Tommy has one. They're not used to having uh, the ganj. So this hits them pretty hard. And they are slowly starting to get. Pretty pretty high. So. Ian goes to visit Lip. He's asking his uh, his brother for some relationship advice, for some money advice. He's kind of seeing what Lip and Tammy do, and you know, Lip tells him, "Hey, Tammy really runs the money." Lip says, "I don't, I don't really care. She cares a lot." Lip knows that they can get by because they always have, and Lip gives him some quote that's from Good Housekeeping. He says, "You know, just kind of figure it out as they go along," and they have a a laugh as the Gallagher's are now growing up becoming more mature and 
having conversations about relationships and money and what's best for their family. As, you know, Ian's married and Lip isn't married, but he's basically married here with the family, with the kid. So as Debbie has been struggling to get work because uh, she's a, a sex offender, Mandy, who Debbie is dating, has created the Instagram account Hot Lesbian Convict for Debbie. And now people are following and people are wanting Debbie to work for them because they feel like Debbie got arrested and was uh, was basically targeted because she's a lesbian. So they are now spinning this, and actually Debbie is getting work out of it. As we get back to the alibi, it is just this disturbing scene with Tommy and Kermit. They had four brownies each, three and four brownies, a bunch of the gummies. They're super, super stony. They get up, they go to the bathroom, Phil Collins is playing in the background, and we are supposed to believe that these two go into the stall and get it on. We don't see it, we just kind of start to hear what we think is about to happen, and two gross characters. We'll see, maybe they find love, who knows, if that's true then they'll be happy, but I think they're going to be very disturbed when they find out what happens next week. I mean, who knows where they go with this uh, with this storyline. So, Ian and Mickey talk about uh, honesty and marriage and, and some of the expectations. They make some compromises. Seems like they're on the uh, the the way to to getting better. And then everyone heads over to Lip and Tammy's to help them with the drywall to help them continue uh, to uh, improve the house. They've got pizza. They've got chicken. And Frank narrates the end of the episode by, you know, kind of mentioning what's going on with all of the characters. And it does really feel like they are saying goodbye and setting up the final season. And everybody is kind of really having their own storylines. And as much as they're the family, the Gallagher family, they're kind of all branching off with their uh, their separate relationships and their families and their kids. And uh, it's going to be sad. But we will be talking about each episode here. On that's what G said. Let's stay uh, on Showtime and let's talk about the the Belushi documentary, the John Belushi doc. I have uh, always been fascinated with John Belushi, who was such a talented actor, comedian, um, creator, and just passed away at 33 years old. Felt like he was so much older, and and I was not around uh, for uh, Belushi really at all. But I remember uh, going back and I did a, a big project on him in high school. I read the book Wired, which was a really controversial book that took a a darker look at him and the end of his life and how bad things were with his drug addiction and literally going through grocery lists of, of the kind of drugs he was taking every day and how much and how bad it really was. This documentary is different. A lot of his friends and family did not obviously like the book and uh, I think the subsequent movie that came from the book Wired and everything around that they felt it just was way too dark and way too negative and didn't really talk at all and show who John was and this documentary did uh, did that a lot uh, a lot better and this was a much different one and you get Harold Ramis, Lauren Michaels, his wife 
Judy, brother Jim, cousin family members, childhood friends, Carrie Fisher, all as major voices helping to tell stories along the way and sort of put the pieces together. We get an opening with uh, some of his screen tests from SNL. We've you know got the clips and, and commentaries for major people in his life. We get still shots with cartoon animations. I, I like the way it's done, the, the documentary in general. What was really fascinating to me about him is that this is the number... It, this is a guy who at the very same time was on SNL, the number one show, was in Animal House, the number one movie, and had a Blues Brothers soundtrack CD, which was the number one soundtrack on the charts. TV show, movie, music, all simultaneously, all like the number one, he's the biggest star in the world. And with that kind of fame comes struggles, right? Comes the opportunity to get into all of these drugs. You know, we're joking, laughing about the weed and the segment before we're talking about shameless, but it was, you know, little stuff that started for John and what really made things escalate. And in this documentary, we go all the way back to his high school life where people always thought because of his name, he was Italian, not Albanian. He just loved to perform. Even at the dinner table, as uh, his brother Jim mentioned, but his dad didn't really find the humor in it. But John always loved comedy. He mimicked a lot of the big stars. He was great at doing impersonations. And he had a band. He loved music. He had a really good sense for music. He was just a real talented guy. A really just a performer. A jack of all trades. He went off to summer stock. And everyone could tell from really early on that he was a star. Another cool aspect of this is that Bill Hader is voicing a lot of the letters that John was writing to his wife so we get a personal sense of who John was the relationship they had the jokes that they had and kind of how his his life changes through the years with some of these letters John was really driven I think that's one thing that maybe a misconception of him you see a guy like him who's goofy and sort of the cut up Chris Farley comparison and you just think that he just comes in and he's the guy that falls down and everybody laughs. That was not the case with this guy. He worked really hard. He was really, really smart. Everything he did from a research perspective, he would, he would get into the character. He was always very well versed. He was a really smart dude, driven, creative. Uh, in the West Compass players, it was all about content, content, content. Political satires. He loved reading about current events and what was going on was very opposed to war, radically opposed to war, and he got involved in Second City. Harold Ramis said, you know, instead of stealing every scene, he knew how to save every scene. They all felt like he was a genius, and that's when he got involved in National Lampoons with Chevy Chase. He joins the show Lemmings, where he becomes the star. This is a comedy rock show satire of... You know, the sort of the, the hippie kind of music movement. And he was hilarious at this. And he started connecting all of his worlds. He's bringing the Second City people to National Lampoons. They, they start doing the radio hour. His love for Judy continues to grow. And he becomes uh, really close with someone who was his best friend for a while now, uh, Dan Aykroyd. And then comes the SNL, the auditions and... 
he John, who is just doing great. He's a big star at this point, but not like a national star quite yet. Everything he does touches everything he touches turns to gold, and everybody around him loves him. But he's still not, you know, on TV or in movies or anything like that. He's he's king of the tours and comedy shows, comedy clubs, um, the National Lampoon stuff on the radio. Now Saturday Night Live is getting ready, and Lauren Michaels did not love John. And John, honestly, he was kind of a dick when he had his interview to Lauren. He said he didn't want to do television. He kind of said, uh, you know, he kind of acted like Lauren would be lucky to have them on, to have John on on TV with him. Now, keep in mind, this is the guy that in 2015, Rolling Stone ranked all of the SNL members of all time. He was number one, John Belushi. At the beginning of Saturday Night Live, when John uh, did eventually get hired, there was a, a jealousy thing between John and, and Chevy because Chevy was a huge hit right away. He was massive in uh, some of his sketches. He had a couple catchphrases that everybody knew, and John was more of a bit player. He was not used to being a background role player. He was always the guy that everybody was laughing at, center of attention, and now he's just... One of one of the guys, one of the gals, one of the crew. But what John had, and it was going to come out, Belushi had this, uh, this everyman ability to connect with an audience. But the, the more and more his star grew, the drugs started to creep in, and they just they overtook him. One of the things that uh, was said to have escalated his drug use a lot was a knee injury that he had when he was going on a tour he fell off a stage he ended up getting a knee injury he got addicted to painkillers that he was prescribed and started taking them all the time and he became a problem for SNL and he was starting to drift apart from his girlfriend Judy as he's becoming more and more of a star he goes to LA and this is now year two Chevy Chase leaves and John gets to be the man and now he's the guy and this is where as he becomes bigger and bigger things more drugs not as great of a relationship with his girlfriend and eventual wife not quite wife yet he goes to LA she doesn't want to she doesn't want him to and then he ends up coming back to her and he tells her he wants to be with her forever he says that he's changed. Then Animal House comes. And it's a huge hit. He's not designed to be such a big character. But they said that every scene he just stands out. He could They couldn't help it. He's on the cover of Newsweek. This is a big deal for him. But he's becoming noticeable everywhere. And he's more comfortable on stage than in life. Now he's got, as I said at the beginning... He's got Saturday Night Live where he's becoming the man because Chevy's uh, Chase is gone. He's got Animal House where he's the, the, the cult hero that the scenes that everybody mimics are, are his scenes. Now he's got the Blues Brothers that he created. And again, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do this Blues Brothers song. He becomes like, completely infatuated with blues, obsessed with it. Listening, learning everything, reading all he can. He's taking it everywhere with him. He's annoying his friends and everybody because all he's doing is blues, 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 blues. 
We're not talking about some big slob. This guy was a genius. He was smart. He was driven. He wanted to succeed. So he gets a deal to work with Spielberg in the movie 1941. But he's in really bad shape. He, he's having to miss Saturday Night Live all the time. He's barely coherent. He's just in really bad condition. And they do a Blues Brothers movie. And this just really enables Dan Aykroyd and John to party even more. They're just going crazy in Chicago. They're a huge star in Chicago. They're huge stars everywhere they go. John is just walking into random people's houses, sleeping on their couch, partying with them. He's so blasted at this point, he just doesn't even know what's going on. They said, you know, he has some really bad nights on the Blues Brothers set. They don't even know. You can tell looking at him that he's just not really there. And like anything, it takes a big event, takes a big moment sometime for you to change. And John did change. It Unfortunately, it just took Something that was really, really sad and a, a big moment of his life, the the passing of his mom. He loses his mom, and now he's starting to to turn over a new leaf. He, he's got this movie coming out, Continental Divide. He's got a new role as a reporter. He's focused on being an actor, and he's willing to do whatever it takes. He settles down in Martha's Vineyard. And he has a new advisor, Smokey, who's helping keep him clean, keeping keeping him straight. And things are going good for John and for Judy and for the family. But then uh, Smokey leaves and John gets worried about his sobriety or he gets worried about uh, losing control. And he he gets back into drugs. And, and this is where things get really bad because he was really taking it to the next level and he didn't have a limit, John. Um, we're talking heroin, cocaine, speedballs, something that he loved. You go the up, you go the down, your heart doesn't know what to do. Uh, the movie Neighbors was uh, one that John was doing, and he ends up butting heads with the some of the script and the writing and the, the writers, and he wants to rewrite it. Drugs become readily available on the set, and, it, and it's just not John. He wouldn't come out of his trailer. Movie ends up getting awful reviews. And now he's having, you know, he's making deals with studios to try to do his movies. He He's just not happy. He has to go, uh, he goes back to L.A. His wife doesn't want him to be there. And he's just not doing well. And the, the people closest to him could tell that he was really, really struggling at that point too. And it's sad because his career was struggling a little bit, but you could tell that he had the ability and the talent where he was going to be one of those guys that would have likely bounced back. And, you know, he would have been a comedic sitcom, you know, actor as he got older and older. In fact, right when he passed, Dan was writing, Dan Aykroyd was writing Ghostbusters. And that was a movie that would have been huge for John like it was for everybody in it. John got too destructive, and at 33 years old, he overdosed. So talented, so sad. A documentary that's, uh, I think it's like an hour or so on Showtime. Belushi, give it a look. Uh, Belushi on Showtime. Just some quick thoughts to finish things out on All Elite Wrestling because they had a big week most recently. So on Wednesday night, they drew close to a million viewers, uh, 995,000. They were number two in all of cable. They were number one with uh, 
males 18 to 49, which is a major, major age bracket. They were coming off the Sting, Kenny Omega, Impact Wrestling Tuesday where Omega showed up. They had tons of matches promoted for this show, and they had Shaq. Shaq was on this show. Shaq did an angle with Brandy Rhodes. I gotta say, I didn't really like it. Getting Shaq on the show is cool. That's great for them. Big eyeballs, and it looks like Shaq is going to be involved either in the corner. At some point, he's going to get in a match, I think, in a tag match, and it's going to be against Cody. It looks like it's going to be Shaq and Jade against Brandy and Cody. What was weird about all of this was Brandy threw water in Shaq's face, and, and it was like, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy here? Who's the baby face? Cody had some has had some weird sort of heelish tendencies recently too. So I don't know about the angle, but there's going to be eyeballs on it. We had Sting speaking. He teased uh, some stuff with Darby Allen, a fun little reun- uh, reuniting moment with uh, Tony Schiavone, and then he had a little interaction with Cody. And then we had the Kenny Omega, Don Callis promo where they talked about everything that happened, why they ran off, why they sort of cheated AEW, why they were uh, on Impact. The only problem is if you f- if you watched Impact on Tuesday to see the Kenny Omega promo, they cut the same damn promo on Wednesday on Dynamite. Now, are they trolling us? Are they purposely doing that, saying the same exact thing? Or was this... Just them going, hey, we're going to do this on Tuesday and then do this on Wednesday. Maybe we get a few extra viewers uh, and a little bit more buzz. I like Sting being there. I don't want to see Sting in a 25-minute match with some of the younger talent, but in a hardcore kind of schmoz tag team match or six-man, eight-man tag. That's a big deal. This is big stuff for AEW. Sting, Shaq, Kenny Omega, now your champ. They even had a Tony Khan, Tony Schiavone like insert promo on Impact Wrestling where they were playing heel. But I like what they're doing. It's it's outside the box. It's buzzworthy. They just got to make sure that it it's good, right? We're all talking about it now. But if it doesn't if it doesn't live up to the billing week to week, people aren't going to continue to tune in. That's what we've seen with WWE now. It doesn't feel like must see anymore. AEW has felt like must see over the last few weeks. And we will see if they can continue to build off of this momentum where they had almost a million people watching their show. And with the NBA season starting, they are going to have a lot of their shows either leading into or sometimes after basketball games. They have some big shows planned for December into January. So can they continue to build off of that momentum? That is going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed all the content. NFL Week 14 with Eric. We had Saturday Golfstream with Barry and Mandalorian with Matt. Thanks to our guests for joining us. Just to give you a little idea of what to look forward to next week. NBA, Dave Handelin. We're going to talk Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 7 with Darren Zocali. I believe we have Paul Bovey for NFL Talk. We'll talk Gulfstream Racing. My friend David Rea is going to be joining us to talk about Selena the series, comparing it to the movie. We've got a couple old wrestling rewatches that we're going to be bringing you the next couple weeks. Survivor Series 2016, Royal Rumble 94. Wow. Yeah. Always moving here on That's What G Said. Have a great weekend, folks. We'll be uh, talking to you again next week.